Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Welcome one and all to another exciting edition, maybe, Hopefully. probably not, <laughs> of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. Uh, welcome back, guys. Um, welcome back to our regularly scheduled program. Right. After last episode's awesome Crypticon recap. It was awesome. It, it was, was awesome. Tur- it turned out better than I thought. Really, really awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we're back at it. Um, back to our normal format. Uh, but how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah. How was your week? It was all right. Just all right? Yeah. Not eventful. Right. It was long. Long? It felt like a long week. Yeah, long and hard. Yeah. Just how you like it. Another one of those long, hard ones. <laughs> uh, what'd you get into? Nothing. Yeah. Except for oh, trivia. Right, we went to trivia on Tuesday. That was fun. Yeah. Always sunny. Trivia. Uncle Jack's fake hands. <laughs> yeah. We kicked ass. Came in second. Yeah, that was... Missed first by one point. I know. And fucking trundle. <laughs> fucking trundle. We missed... Two questions? Three. Three. But then we got the bonus question, which is worth three. Right. So, so we got 30 out of 33. Yeah. But then, yeah, we got, we were beaten by 31. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like when he's reading off the answers, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah oh, of course. Damn it. But fucking trundle. Fucking trundle. The question was, Charlie did not sign his name or did not, he did not sign Charlie day but it should have been charlie kelly to frank's will it was the patty secession plan right um what did he sign it as and it's like i had just watched that fucking episode but the question didn't make sense to me yeah the fact that the guy kept saying charlie day yeah and it's like that's the actor's name so he wouldn't have signed it charlie day regardless and it's like is this a trick question yeah <laughs> but it's fucking trundle because he was going by trundle for a little while <laughs> but he wasn't really he decided afterwards that he was going to go by Trundle because that was how he wrote his name. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we got, what, $25 gift card? We drank for free, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, so that was awesome. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it would have been... We actually, we tied for second, and then I won the trivia off. Yeah, you got the, the tiebreaker, right. Um so technically, we got more points than the people who won. That is a good point. Um, what was I going to say? I don't know. Shit. <laughs> what was it? Something about Trundle. No, I, I keep forgetting things, and I like I really I was trying want to say. To I think it this. could have been funner. Oh right! Um, if we had written the questions, because we like we, for, we for like two weeks we were quizzing each other. We had some damn good questions. Yeah. And it's like, we I think we were expecting much more difficult questions because you you and your girlfriend blew it out of proportion because you went to How I Met Your Mother trivia and you were giving like telling me some of the difficult questions they had. It was like the same place, but different host. So I guess they... That's right. I guess the guy said it was his first time doing it. Yeah. And even somebody, somebody asked him about next week and he was like, I don't know. I'm not hosting that one. No. Oh, so apparently weird. they have different hosts... We should sign up to do one. We should. That'd actually be cool. Yeah. We do, a, I don't know, do a horror one. Yeah? Um, it's usually very like specific, though, so maybe Walking Dead or something? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. 
Um, it's funny. I, I came from having dental work done that day. Yeah. I started poking you in the face. Right. I was very numb. <laughs> I had, I don't know, actually, one, two, three, four. I had fillings done on four teeth. I don't know how many actual filling, fillings I had, but it was on four teeth. I'm still a little sore, which I guess is normal, but I'm still a little concerned. In what, five days? Roughly. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, they, like, I was reading, it's like the, the closer they have to get, like, or the, the more they have to drill into the tooth to remove any decay, uh, the more, like, the longer you'll be sore. Makes sense. And so, like, when I was at a point where I could feel the cavity when I would floss. So I imagine they had probably had to deep, dig pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> um, anyway, but I was numb as hell. Like, I looked like I had a stroke face. <laughs> and all I could think was, You think I'm bluffing? <laughs> oh, you think I'm bluffing? <laughs> uh, what are you doing over there? Uh, somebody tagged me on Facebook, so I was seeing what it was. It was actually about trivia. Oh, something about trivia? Yeah. Trivia? You going to go trivia yeah. again? I am. <laughs> um, what else is exciting? Oh, I got a raise. Woo, That's you did awesome. get the raise. Yeah. Nice. More than I asked for. Holy shit. Yeah. Because you asked for a lot. I did ask for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's it wasn't unreasonable what I was asking for. I think it was. <laughs> Thanks. More than you deserve. <laughs> um. But no, yeah, they gave me 50 cents more than I was asking for. Nice. Yeah, so it was pretty bitching. Um, oh, you know what else exciting happened? What? Fucking Mixtape Massacre came. Right? Yeah, and I haven't even played it yet. I'm still excited. You guys played it last night, or you, you and your girlfriend. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, wanted, you know, I wanted our first time. To, I didn't want to be awkward, and so I wanted to make sure I had some experience for you. <laughs> so you break me in gently? Yeah. <laughs> Um, now I'm gonna pop your cherry wide open. <laughs> Leave you laying on the floor. <laughs> no, but it's it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. It really is. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited to play it. Well, maybe even my girlfriend was like, "This is really fun." Like while we were playing, it wasn't even like afterwards. She was like, "This is really fun." Nice. Uh, well, I mean, I haven't played it yet, but good job, uh, Bright Light Media. Yeah, we're gonna play it as soon as we're done here. Okay, I have to let my no wife know that. <laughs> My wife. We haven't, we haven't done that in a long time. We haven't. Because everyone else started doing it. So right. It's not cool got, anymore. got old. Yeah. Have her come up. She can play too. She won't. Yeah. Well, fuck her then. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Uh, nope. Me neither. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just really fucking jazzed about my race. That's like awesome. I'm just really jazzed about Mixtape Massacre. Right. <laughs> it's going to be nice not being broke for <clears throat> ever. Yeah. That, that is nice. And hey, if you guys do buy Mixtape Massacre, which I recommend everyone do, uh, check out the back page of the rule book and you'll see uh, Taylor of Terror, Grave Plot Podcast. It's the right thing to right do, there. son. So, so do. do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... I guess just horror business then. Let's do it. Too much horror business. Driving late at night. 
might be the most ridiculous fucking story we've had in a while. <laughs> More ridiculous <laughs> than the drunk monkey. <laughs> that was just awesome. That was so awesome. That's a great story. I want that to live on in infamy. Yeah, that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> this one, I mean, I can't say that it's unexpected. <laughs> well, maybe unexpected, but not unbelievable. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, everybody knows Bobby Brown. Bobby B. Yep. Mr. Whitney Houston. My prerogative. <laughs> um, well, he had sex with a ghost. So he says. Uh, sometime during the 1990s, he was starring in a movie, and there were ghosts all over, and he had one, or he had sex with one. Right. Ghostbusters 2. Right. <laughs> Starred? Really? Okay. Maybe that's a bit of a strong word. Cameoed, um, how about? Cameoed, yeah. Um, but no, sometime during the 1990s, Apparently, he purchased a mansion in Atlanta, and uh, the previous owner was Mike Thevis. I'm not familiar with him, but apparently some guy, some guy who uh, was linked to organized crime and also known as the Scarface of Porn. How about that for a title? There's a nickname. Right. I want that on a business card. That's how I want to be known is like in the underworld. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the Scarface of Porn. <laughs> that's him right there. Um, in, uh, Bobby B's, <laughs> I'm calling him Bobby B because that's what, uh, remember, did you ever watch Mad TV? Yeah. You know, De- Deborah Wilson when she would do Whitney Houston and, uh, uh, Aries Spears would play Bobby Brown. I didn't know. I know who both those names, but I don't recall that skit. Okay. Well, I mean, there were, there were several of them. They would always oh. play those characters, but she was always like just cracked out and like all sweaty and talking really fast. She was calling Bobby B. <laughs> It's funny to me. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, but in his book, Every Little Step, like the song, uh, uh, colon, my story, uh, he said, I sensed that a lot of evil shit had gone down in that house while Thebus lived there. Uh, to this day, I believe the house was haunted. We would often see white women walk down the hallway. The guy was the Scarface of porn. There was probably white women everywhere. <laughs> And also, also you're Bobby Brown. He's Bobby Brown. There were probably a lot of white women walking around, yeah. probably naked. Um, and he was on coke a lot of the time. Well, he does claim this was before he was doing any drugs other than pot. That's bullshit. <laughs> there was probably never a time when that was a true statement. Just not in the 90s, that's for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, but how tight was New Edition? <laughs> Hella tight, bro. <laughs> uh, one memorable night, one of the ghosts descended from the ceiling and had sex with me. <laughs> <laughs> now, anybody that's seen Ghostbusters probably remembers this happening. Oh, yeah. Good old Ray Stance. Right. Getting a jibber from a... <laughs> jibber. <laughs> Uh, from an unforeseen or unseen force. You see it at first, but then she disappears. Oh, that's right. And then his belt and then, just kind of goes. Woo. And then. And you, you start hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Is it a strange sucking noise? 
Uh, so, okay. <laughs> one memorable night, one of the ghosts descended from the ceiling and had sex with me. <laughs> he goes on to say, after you stop laughing... <laughs> Wait, I'm not there yet. <laughs> like, hold on. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> What's funny is he didn't actually say ghosts before. He said, he's true. He said, I believe the house was haunted. But then he said, I saw white women everywhere. One day a ghost had sex with me. <laughs> Wait a minute. Where's the jump here? <laughs> oh. Christ. Okay. After you stop laughing. Are we done? Still not there. <laughs> Okay, we need to move on. I need you to hear what I'm saying because I'm not making this up. Oh, okay, Bobby B. <laughs> Tell us the story. Uh, and let me add this. This was before I ever touched any drug beside weed and alcohol. Again, bullshit. Bullshit. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck. Okay, in my bedroom, I had a big round bed. <laughs> With of course you did. With a mirrored ceiling looming above. This was definitely a porn house. Right. And it cracks me up that he didn't change anything. Yeah. Assuming. I hope, like. I hope he changed the sheets at least. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is just all this dried up spunk. Ectoplasm. <laughs> <laughs> On his silk sheets. <laughs> oh, There's a ghost. <laughs> Oh, I'm fucked. Um, I, I always slept in the nude. God, this just keeps getting better. Wait, that sounded bad. I retract that statement. I always slept in the nude, so one night I woke up to the sensation of a woman on top of me. We all know that feeling. Except for Taylor, because he don't get none. Oh. <laughs> Um, I look up and in the mirrors, I could actually see a white woman straddling me on the bed again. This was probably <laughs> actually happening and he was coked out. Uh, the sensation felt exactly like sex. I could feel my penis inside of her and everything. It was not a dream. I was definitely awake while it was happening. All of a sudden, she was gone, leaving me alone and incredibly excited and terrified at the same time. <laughs> now, someone please make a biopic of this book. <laughs> just least, just for this, this part, scene. Yeah. <laughs> now, does this sound like he had a hooker? To anyone else and he was so fucking drugged out that he thought he was fucking a ghost all of a sudden she was gone it's like yeah she was done she just walked away yeah you left the money on the dresser and she bailed <laughs> and, he, and he was excited and terrified <laughs> oh god oh bobby b oh 90s <laughs> great great time it's a good time to be alive <laughs> Uh, so Taylor, have you ever fucked a ghost? Uh, not to my knowledge. <laughs> yeah, maybe one took advantage of me while I was sleeping, but I didn't notice. Right. <laughs> I didn't have mirrors on the ceiling to see it. So. 
I did wake up in ectoplasm once. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, having mirrors in the ceiling, that was the key. Right. That's, that's how he saw it all. <laughs> I hope his bed spun, too. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck. Fucking Bobby Brown. God damn it. Uh, I'm still going to buy this book. <laughs> All right. Next story. All right, so this is kind of old news, but we've been out of the game for a while. So yeah, we haven't done any news in a long time. Like a so. month. <laughs> so, um... Good, good and bad news on the Halloween front. Uh, good news, they are making a new one. And John Carpenter is returning. Uh, he's going to executive produce it. But, but then again, he executive produced the remake of The Mist, or The Fog. So, uh, can't get too excited. Right. Uh, bad news is this is going to be a Blumhouse production. Which means, as per, as per our new policy, we will not be reviewing it on the show. Uh, we'll probably still will. Oh, fuck. It's an existing franchise, so that gives it some... some... Are you telling me we're not going to see Creep 2? I'm going to fucking see Creep 2. There you go. <laughs> but if this is rated PG-13, I'm going to go fucking just bananas. B-A-N-A-N-E-S. Shut up. <laughs> I'm just going to lose my shit. And I'm it's, gonna... my shit. it's my shit. <laughs> Gwen Stefani. You get it. No, I get it. <laughs> you, Yeah, you got I, it. I think I got it. I think I got it. <laughs> but no, if they make a PG-13 Halloween, I'm going to burn Tommy Blum to the ground. <laughs> Tommy Blum. <laughs> Not Blumhouse Productions, just him. <laughs> just light him on fire. <laughs> uh, longtime series producer Malek Akkad, whose father Mustafa produced the original film, will oversee the project under his Trankus International Films banner. Uh, Carpenter said about returning to the franchise, 38 years after the original Halloween, I'm going to try to help make... Uh, I'm going... Yeah, I'm going to help to try to make the 10th sequel the scariest of them all. Translation, I'm going to try and pull this series out of the shitbox. Yeah, no shit. Try and fix everything that Buster Rhymes and Rob Zombie have done. <laughs> Um, interesting that he says 10th sequel. So it's not another reboot. Or is it? Or is it? (laughs) Um, he goes on to say, Halloween needs to return to its traditions. I feel like the movies have gotten away from that. Michael is not just a human being. He's a force of nature, like the wind. That's what makes him so scary. She's like the wind. Because the wind is terrifying. Um, he's right. Yeah, okay. (laughs) He's right. Um, yeah. You know, in going starting in part four, it just got really weird. And um, apparently he didn't even want to make part two. Part two was the last one that he was involved with. And he actually, he co-wrote it, but he, he didn't like it because it, it humanized Michael too much. See, I, I maintain that Halloween 2 is better than the first one. I like Halloween too. I wouldn't go as far as saying it's better than the first one. But I like it. Oh, I think it's much better because because you find out who Michael is and why he has this infatuation with Laurie. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I think we have different perspectives on like leaving stuff open to, to interpretation, and you know, to a certain <clears throat> extent, it's like, yeah. I mean, I don't need to be spoon fed everything, but it's like, okay, this guy's a psycho, but he's fixated on this one girl. Why? Right. No, that's why I like the second one. Yeah. I, I do think that, you know, Carpenter says that, you know, oh, well, it, it made Laurie his sister and it explained why he was going after her. But it's like in the first one, he's clearly going after her. Right. She is his target. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like he's just this mindless killing machine because he has this target. Yeah. And so, yeah, that point should be made. Why is this his target? But, I mean, still, he's going to kill every motherfucker that gets in his way. Sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't... I don't know. I, I don't see Michael Myers. I never have seen him as a force of nature. He's a dude in a mask. Yeah. I've, it's, I've always thought of him that way. I mean, you show him as a little kid, so you can't say he's just this creature or force of nature or whatever because yeah. he he is just a person yeah i mean you know you think of like like he's always compared to jason and you know people always want to see like uh michael versus jason it's like jason at a point was just a guy in a mask but now he's some he is a force of nature he <laughs> cannot be killed yeah because he's been dead and been brought and he's been brought back to life I mean, we don't really times. know if Michael can be killed. The first, at the end of the first movie, he's shot, but then he disappears. He's on PCP. I don't know. <laughs> we want me to tell you. He's home sweet home. <laughs> uh, God, that was a reach. <laughs> <laughs> what? It was body by Jake on PCP. That was body by Jake. That's who he was. <laughs> I don't know. All I'm saying though is fuck Blumhouse. <laughs> Uh, according to a post on Blumhouse.com, Carpenter may also work on the score, which I, I, I mean, it's it's one song, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they were going to get the licensing of that anyways, so it's right. not really that exciting that he's going to work on the score. I'm, I'm Technically, never... it's two songs. It's the main song, and then it's dun, 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 <laughs> which is called The Shape Lurks, by the way. Oh, good to know. See, like that that whole thing, uh, in um, in the first one, him just being referred to as the shape. Yeah, like I mean, they they say what his name is, right? <laughs> I don't know. Carpenter's on my shit list, and I can't remember if we talked about this last episode or or maybe the one before. I I, I can't remember, but he was talking some shit about Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, right. I didn't take kindly to that, so he can go fuck himself. He sounded very pretentious. Very pretentious. It's like, oh, I started the slasher genre. And, you know, uh, he's essentially saying that Friday the 13th was a cheaper interpretation of it. It's like, fuck yourself, asshole. It didn't rise above its cheapness. Right. (laughs) Fuck you, man. It's campy. Like, that's what it is. Enjoy it for that. Yeah. Camp Uh, is not always a bad thing. No. Um... Yeah, so I, you know, I am obviously on Team Jason. I think that Jason would always kick Michael Myers' ass in every fight ever. Um, and so John Carpenter can go fuck himself. <laughs> Especially because he bailed on his own series. He's like, oh. Did he bail or did they take it from him? I imagine he wasn't playing ball, but I'm sure he left voluntarily. Hmm. Uh, 
don't know. I mean, like I said, in theory, as awesome as it is that that he's returning to this franchise at the same time he did executive produce the Fog remake, which is a hot pile of garbage. <laughs> so I can't be too excited. So I'm kind of ch- trying to temper my expectations. Right. Uh, there are rumors that Mike Flanagan is in talks to write and direct. Um, I am a Mike Flanagan fan. Yeah, that could be good. <laughs> could be cool. <laughs> could be cool. We're just going to do Always Sunny references the whole episode. We're in Always Sunny mode. What are we going to do? Um, you know, Mike Flanagan did Hush, and he did uh, Oculus. Um, he did do both of those. Yeah. And he did Before I Wake, which we were supposed to review, but then got pushed because of Relativity Media. Then I was going <laughs> to... cannot get their shit together. I was going to put it back on the calendar because it's got a new release date, but then I saw it's PG-13, so I went, nah, never mind. <laughs> eh. Pass. Nah. Uh, no official release date for Halloween 11 or whatever the fuck it's going to be. Um, but they did kind of allude to it coming out Halloween of 2017, which would put it on the fastest of tracks. Right. So probably not. Yeah. (laughs) They still don't have a script or a writer or a director or wait, 2017. Eh, That could happen. It, It could. I mean, they don't really have much to go on for the Friday Thirteenth re remake. Well, we'll get to that later. Okay, that's actually our next story. Okay, so I guess why don't we just get to it right now? Let's, let's go there. So, Mister Brad Fuller. Brad full of shit. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> that, that should be his name. Uh, the mouthpiece for Platinum Dunes. Um, he's saying that the new Friday the 13th movie uh, will be an origin story, but it will not be an origin story. <laughs> I love these quotes so much. <laughs> Uh, he was talking to the real world, not MTV. The real double E world. You get True it. story. She <laughs> fucker. God damn it. <laughs> Piece of shit. I tried to fight it. Yeah, you were sitting there looking like you're gonna shit yourself. Okay. So he says, uh, you have to kind of understand Jason Voorhees. Uh, no. <laughs> no, you don't. What's there to understand? Right. Um, so we go back. We kind of start it over and work our way forward. <laughs> he said it's origin-ish, but it's an origin that no one has seen before. Obviously, Pamela's there, but it's a little bit different from what you've seen before. Then he told Yahoo, we're going to go back and we're going to meet the family. We're going to go. We're going to meet the family. What? Yeah, he said it twice. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You're going to meet Pamela, Elias, and Jason, and you're going to see how it all happened. Now... For those of you that don't know, Elias is Jason's dad, who we have never seen before. Right. There was a deleted scene 
in Friday the 13th 6, allegedly of Elias visiting Jason and Pamela's grave. But I've never seen that scene. I don't know that it was actually shot. Hmm. Um, so there's that. Uh, Here's where it gets good. Now, he told iHorror, Origin isn't really the right word for this movie. No, wait, read the, read the first part of the next one. The word origin got out. He's the one that fucking said it! It didn't get out. You fucking said it. Yeah, you goddamn prick. You said origin-ish. Yeah. You used the word origin so many times that like you defined it as an origin movie. Like that... It was like you're trying to imprint it on people's brains. Yeah. You fucking cocksucker, asshole, idiot. You know, I used to not hate Brad Fuller. Fuller. Um, like, I found him less repugnant than Michael Bay. But now he's like, he's up there. Yeah. I really don't like him. And I need to, he needs to shut his fucking mouth and maybe, stop talking. Maybe like he said all those original comments and the writer was like, bro. Uh -uh. (sighs) Um, it's more of an alternate world that we're creating for Jason so they're creating a multiverse because they want to be superhero movies that's what they're doing that's what's happening Uh, yes Pamela and Jason are together in this film but it's the same Jason we all know and love you just said it's an alternate alternate reality Alternate world. He used alternate like three times. <laughs> More than he used the word origin. <laughs> but it's the same Jason. Yeah. Now he's a dimensional traveler. <laughs> Fucking hell. God. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> this is stressing me the fuck out. He's Jason. He kills. He kills teenagers. Yeah. We went down the origin route. <laughs> Said it again. With the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, and I think when you go too deep into a character's origin, the character stops being scary at some point. Yes! So stop doing it! Well, he said, I'm not worried about demystifying Jason by revealing parts of his backstory, which most of the fans are familiar with. Then why do it? If everyone's familiar with it already, why redo it? Why even talk about Elias? He was not a part of of the film it's always been assumed that Pamela was the way that she was like basically on the verge of being a psychotic um, because she raised this mentally handicapped deformed child on her own because her fucking piece of shit drunk husband left her that's always been kind of like the the underlying backstory, I guess. We don't really need to see that. No, and they don't. It does it certainly doesn't fucking need to be changed. Yeah, because that's what drove the story. Is that Pamela was psychotic because she was a single mother, um, probably embittered, and you know that's why. Uh, her and Jason really had this really symbiotic mother-son relationship, mm-hmm. um, and you know, bringing Elias into that fucks that entire th- thing up. 
That's yeah. it, unless you just like decide to show him leaving. But then, like, why? Yeah, why even fucking mention it? That's like a five-minute scene at the most. God, yeah, fucking goddamn. <clears throat> but I like that he says, "We haven't decided whether or not Elias will appear in the film." It's like, okay, that's not what you said. You said we're going to meet the family. Yeah, we're going to meet all of them. We're going to meet Jason, Pamela, and and Elias. You you said that. Those were the words that came out of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, he said that was a comment I made, which was a response to a question about whether or not Elias would be part of this film. I said that including Jason's father was an idea, a possibility, but it's not at all a certainty that he'll appear in the film. That is not what you said. No. You are quoted, sir. You you said, and I quote, you're going to meet Pamela, Elias, and Jason, and you're going to see how it all happened. Lawyered. (laughs) That is a direct quote from your stupid mouth. (laughs) Stupid, stupid man. So, I mean, the good things about this are that are pretty much were, were kind of always the good things about it is that it's going to take place in the late 1970s slash early 1980s, somewhere in that general time frame. Um, there's a summer camp and there are camp counselors, so it's going back to Crystal Lake, which is good. Um Camp Crystal Lake, I should say. Right. Um, but it's it's oh goddamn, this is such a mess. It. I mean, the more Fuller talks, the more it sounds like they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. That's all I said. He needs to just shut up. Yeah. Stop fucking talking. Yeah. Just say you know no comment or we haven't made a decision on that. Yeah, or I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> um, but here's the thing. He oh, is. Good, there's a thing. He's saying that they will not make the January thirteenth, two thousand seventeen, release date. You don't say. Big fucking surprise. <laughs> because they don't have a script. They don't have a cast. They don't have a director. They don't have a director. And they don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> um, but he says that's gonna be the ultimate decision is gonna be with Paramount. And I think Paramount's, I don't think Paramount's gonna release a movie that doesn't exist. Yeah, they're not really in the habit of putting out like. No, that's not true because I was gonna say they're not in the habit of putting out rushed garbage. But I mean, there are so many Paranormal Activity movies. <laughs> Like, seriously, so many of them. Yes. Um, anyway, the more I hear about this, the more I dread it. And that's just another reason Brad Fuller needs to shut his fucking mouth. Yeah. He did say it doesn't have to come out on a Friday the 13th. Well, at least he's with us on that. But he also specifically said that the next one is in October. So he's clearly aware of it. Uh... Okay, I'm done talking about this. So, Andy Muchete uh, has finally found his Pennywise for the new version of Stephen King's It. Uh, It will not be... uh, (laughs) Anyone that should be... What was that guy's name? The one that was in the running... 
Uh, fuck, what was his name? The one, um, that, the one that Fukunaga wanted. Uh, will Poulter. It will not be Will Poulter. It will instead be Bill Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Of the Hollywood Skarsgårds. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, a, he's it, the son of Stellan Skarsgård and the brother of... Alexander. Alexander Skarsgård. Yes. Mr. Trueblood. Mr. Trueblood. That's his character's name. <laughs> he's the titular Mr. Trueblood. <laughs> Shows me <named> after him. <laughs> Like, just like Twilight the Vampire. <laughs> uh, Skarsgård will be appearing as Pennywise in two movies. The first one about the kids and the second one about them as adults. Um, as far as I can tell, that's the final idea. Is it's going to be kids and adults and not a mix of the two like the original miniseries was. Wait, that's new. I've seen that in several different sources. <clears throat> Because they were talking about f- filming all the kids' parts and then filming all the adults' parts, adult parts, and, and doing flashbacks. Yeah, well, mixing them all together, you know, like the book <laughs> or the miniseries. Sure. But yeah, it sounds like it's going to be one of them as kids and one of them as adults. That's not. That's a bad idea. That's I think so too. Dumb. Because so much of like the events of them as adults flash back to what happened to them as kids. Mm-hmm. And if you have to like think back to a completely different movie, that's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, members of the losers club will be played by Jaden Lieberer, Finn Wolfhard. That, okay. Jack Dylan Grazer, Wyatt Olaf, chosen Jacobs and Jeremy Ray Taylor. Those are dumb names. <laughs> dumb names. Wolfhard. <laughs> Uh, Owen Teague from Cell, which we'll be talking about later, uh, as well as Bloodline, will be playing Patrick Hawksetter, a psychopath who keeps a refrigerator full of animals that he's killed. He does do that. Um, that was left out of the <clears throat> miniseries. Yeah. Was, was that character even in it at all? Um, he was kind of like a background character. He was one of... Um, um, shit, I'm totally spacing on what the the bully's name is. Um, Henry he was one of Henry's like cronies oh okay but he didn't really have much of a role in the miniseries like at all but so. he's very prominent in the book yeah I mean there's there's a pretty interesting scene like I don't know I mean like the kid like he's uh, he might be gay hmm um, I'm pretty sure he if I remember right, he blows Henry at one point. Interesting. Yeah. But he does keep a uh, fridge of dead animals. Hmm. And then Pennywise was in there. <laughs> was in the fridge? Yeah. Oh. Interesting. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Bill Skarsgård is, he's Skarsgård. from Hemlock Grove. Yes. Okay. We get it. Do you? Do you get it? <laughs> like a pirate. Like you do it more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's from Hemlock Grove. You watched Hemlock Grove. You did not seem to like him. No, he's the guy's 25 years old. Why is he playing Pennywise? How old was Curry when when he played Pennywise? He was like in his 40s. Was he? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting choice because, I mean, it's not like they're going to make, hopefully, knock on wood, a fucking <laughs> series of Pennywise movies. Oh, God. 
So you don't need someone who's going to like, you know, stick with the franchise for. No, like I, I had a, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but like I had a perfect person in mind to play Pennywise. Um, and that was, um, why can't I remember names? I don't know. I never, I never remember names. Kim Coates. Uh, I mean, I think probably a lot of people would re- recognize him from Sons of Anarchy. I, and I, I don't know why, but he just popped in my head. I'm like, oh, my God, he would have been perfect. I could see it. He's got um, he's got kind of a, almost a nasally voice, which I think would have been really good for Pennywise. I mean, it, it would have been a different Pennywise than Tim Curry, but then, I mean, nobody's going to ever be like right, Tim Right, it's going to be no matter what. But this guy, like, he has an accent that he can't hide. Mm, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, which is weird because his his dad does a pretty good job. I mean, you could still hear it. His brother, like, when he hides his accent, it's, like, undetectable. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is with him, but in Hemlock Grove, you could always tell there was that underlying um, accent. And, you know, in, in the show, his mom is Funka Jansen. Um and um, shit, ah, I can't. Bad, bad, terrible names. I can't do it. I just I can't. Uh, but you know, Famke Jensen. I think she's like South African or maybe Danish. Oh, really? Yeah, but I think she was raised here, so she doesn't like have an accent or she hides it extremely well. Yeah. And on the show, you As know, Jean Grey, I would never, yeah, picked up on any kind of accent. Um, and uh, yeah, she she plays his mother. She doesn't have an accent, but for some reason he does, even though he's clearly trying to hide it. I don't know. And he's he's creepy, but not like Pennywise clown creepy. And it's just it's all wrong. It's no good. <clears throat> I'm interested to see what kind of direction they take this in. Um, I, I mean, since Fukunaga left, I haven't heard anything about like changes to the script yeah. or like what kind of tone they want to set. I mean, I know Fukunaga wanted to put his own personal experiences in the movie, yeah, which is a terrible idea. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see like how dark they go, and I mean, we we already know they're going to be rated R, which right. thank the fuck Christ. Oh god, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> which means I mean, I think that was a lot of uh, what held the miniseries back from being as as effectual as it could have been. Well, yeah, it was on TV, yeah. so they couldn't get away with a lot. Right. Like, you know, having a fridge full of dead animals, for instance. Or like the gangbang scene. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, it was kind of a gangbang. Have I ever told you, like, the story behind that? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Weird stuff. <laughs> Weird, wild stuff. <laughs> Crazy, wild stuff. Uh, so, yeah, this is going to come out September 8th, 2017. Uh, that's going to be the first one, of course. Mm. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You excited? Not really. I want to be, but I'm just not. Yeah. We'll see what happens when we get a trailer or something. I guess. So I tell you what I did on Sunday. 
Tell me, tell me. Uh, I went and saw Conjuring 2. How was it? Not good. Oh. It was really bad. That's not what I've heard. Yeah, well, people like to suck James Wan's dick, and I'm just not of that ilk. <laughs> um, I think he made one good movie and hasn't made a single one worth a shit since. Saw? Yep. Um, I don't know. People just think he's like this horror god, and I don't see it at all. I think his uh, movies are hasty and poorly done. Um, they're like overproduced. Like there's just too much money for what the movie is. Um, and you know, he like he keeps making these Conjuring movies and you know movies about the Warrens. Those people, those two were fucking con men. They're frauds, and they've been proved as frauds time and time again. And they keep they keep making movies about it. And you know what the funniest thing about this movie was is none of it fucking happened. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the fact that they're like from the true case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren. It's like first of all, I know that not, nothing in this. I haven't even seen the movie, but I already know that nothing in it happens because there's fucking demons and shit. They're not demonologists. They're paranormal investigators. Yeah. If anything, they saw a chair move. You can't make a fucking movie out of that. And that's the thing. The 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 Enfield haunting, or the Enfield poltergeist, however you want to refer to it, that's what this is about. Um, they go, like, in the movie, or actually, let's start with real life. Um, there were two investigators from um, some some organization. I, let, me, let me look it up here. I know one of them, their last name is Playfair. Right. Guy Lion Playfair and Maurice Gross. Uh, they're from the Society for Psychical Research. Psychical? Never sure. heard that word before. <laughs> it's probably not a real word. They probably made it up for that uh, society. I'm sure it doesn't say physical. Psychical. Okay. <laughs> um, Maurice Gross was in it, like in the movie, as a character. Uh Guy Lion Playfair, uh, he came out and said, like, after the, the Warrens claimed that they had taken part in this in some way, he came out and said, no, they didn't. Yeah, he said they showed up for one day. Yeah. They weren't asked to come by anyone. No. They showed up for one day, they poked around, and then bailed. He had one conversation with Ed Warren where Ed Warren said to him, I can make you a lot of money. Right. Guess who was conveniently not in this movie at all? I'm going to guess uh, Guy Lion Playfair. You are correct, sir. <laughs> you are correct, sir. And the thing is, Playfair, and what was the other guy's name? Gross? Yeah. They were discredited for this. The, like, psychical research community was like, these people are obviously full of shit. And you fell for it, so you're dumb. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the little girl. Um, and yet, here we are talking about it. Uh, yeah, the little girl, Janet, um, was the one supposedly possessed by a ghost. Uh, and, like, God damn it. This is... The movie had, like, the, the dumbest, most convoluted, fucking stupid-ass plot 
ever. It was a bad script. It was so bad. And what made me hate this the most was the last line in the movie. Uh, It was the cheesiest, fucking corniest bullshit I've ever seen in any horror movie ever. What is it? Uh, She said something like it was a little girl. um, And after she'd been freed of possession or whatever, she said uh, something along the lines of like, you said that uh, like Ed had told her somewhere somewhere earlier in the movie that um, there's someone in heaven looking out for all of us. And she said, I'm like, I'm like the luckiest ever because I have two, meaning the the Warrens. It's like, oh, fuck off. Oh, I, I, I audibly groaned <laughs> in the theater. <sighs> anyway, so there was one cool thing in the movie um, that was completely fabricated by James. Of course it was. Everything in the fucking movie was fabricated. Oh yeah. Well I like I wanna tell something to you guys, just in case you didn't know. There's no such things as ghosts. (laughs) Ghosts are not a real thing. They are a mass hysteria. (laughs) Now that we've established that, I want to go on to say that everything that Ed Warren Ed and Lorraine Warren ever said they did is complete and utter fucking nonsense. They're con men and degenerates. And like I said earlier, they were definitely not demonologists. No. So any of these places that they experienced, they definitely didn't see demons. Yeah. So The Conjuring 2 starts out, and it starts out in Amityville. because After the Lutz had already left, like, time-wise, starts out after the Lutz have already abandoned the house. Uh, the Warrens are in there with a group of other researchers, I think, and they're having a seance trying to figure out what is possessing the house. And Lorraine, who's apparently some kind of like psychic, um, apparently, uh, she starts chasing around this little boy ghost or whatever. And then there appears this demon nun. Like it's, it's, you see a picture of it, right? Yeah. It's pretty fucking creepy. I'll I'll give them that credit. It's really creepy, and it's probably the creepiest part of the movie. Actually, the only creepy part. But that's kind of my thing with with Juan is that I think his movies rely so heavily on just creepy imagery and jump scares. Yeah, and that's really all there is to it. The story is not there. No, and that's what people credit him with is really good stories and great acting and and, uh, great production value. It's like there's too much production. This should be a much smaller budget for what it is. Um, the script, like I said, the script for this was awful. Like I, the the Conjuring one at least the the story doesn't make any sense because it's about this the a ghost of a Salem witch who is protecting her home and then attaches herself to a family. Yeah. So if they move, the witch would go with them, even though she's protecting her home. Yeah, let's mention, let's just start off in reality uh, that there were no proven witches that were in Salem. Right. They never found a single witch. And then the end of the movie is this lady gets upside down and Ed says, hey, 
Don't. Hey, you. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> you you knocked that <laughs> off. Anyway, so. And somebody on the IMDb boards said that he is the Michael Bay of horror. And it's just loud noises and flashing imagery. And yes. I was like, that is apt. Yes, that is absolutely correct. Um, I, 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 I know on, we're on hot take alert right now. Right. And I was just going to say, I posted on Facebook. I said, if I were rich, I would pay James Wan to never make another movie. <laughs> Hashtag hot take. <laughs> um, like I said, a lot of people are just on his nuts because they think he's just this visionary, like awesome director. And it's because he not. appeals to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. He makes, just like Michael Bay. Yeah. He makes movies that, you know, you don't have to think about. And it's just a lot of creepy things in your face and <laughs> jump scares. <laughs> People think jump scares make a scary movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's a startling movie. Yeah. Um, but as I said, there's the nun and she was completely fabricated by James Wan. Like I said. But they are apparently going to make a spin-off movie of that character, much like Annabelle. Not only is she completely fabricated, she didn't exist until about three months before the movie came out. Right. Uh, in the original script, there was some kind of horned demon or something. Well, I just immediately picture Tim Curry in Legend. <laughs> and that actually, like, comes to pass. I mean, I, as much as I don't give a shit about this movie or... Like I, I don't know my my journalistic integrity won't let me spoil it too much I guess. Wait, so there is a horn demon in it, sort of. There's a horn demon, a psycho nun, and the crooked man. Oh right, the crooked man. I forgot about that. Um, they're all kind. Of, they're all the same. They're all the oh. same entity. Okay. Um. No, I mean there there there's the they believe it's the house is being haunted by the spirit of an old man um and then like i mean it's getting into like spoiler territory but it's fuck it i don't care huh i don't care sure um but yeah there was this horn demon and then apparently they like they filmed the movie with this horn demon and they were they were ready to send it out and one was like you know <laughs> i got this one little thing i want to add um, anyway, so yeah, spinoff of The Nun. I hope it's not just called The Nun. As of now, it is. Uh, it's being written by David Leslie Johnson, who co wrote The Conjuring 2, so you know you're going to get that same degree of excellence out of his writing. Um, such a bad story. Oh my God. Um, Juan's going to produce it, so. We're safe there. You know, speaking of one producing, uh, I recently discovered that Lights Out is going to be PG-13, and so I'm very disappointed in that, because I really liked the short. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the trailer didn't look extremely good. No. Uh, it's, I just don't think that's a story that really lends itself to a feature length. Not really. That's Because you have to come up with this whole backstory for this person living in the shadows, and it just... Yeah, it comes t- too much. You were talking earlier about demystifying things. Yeah, and it's like that's why the that's why the short hit so well is because it was like, what is this? Yeah, but like, you know, you're wondering that, but at the same time, you don't want it answered, right? 
Anyway, uh, Juan's going to produce uh, the original, and uh, like you said, the um, original creature was a horned demon, um, but he changed it to an evil nun. And it's apparently that was supposed to be like some, uh, like some like uh, antagonistic way to attack Lorraine Warren's faith because apparently she's like a devout Catholic or something. Of course she was. Um. Yeah, but yeah, last minute reshoots brought the nun in, and like I said, I mean that was like the only actual creepy part of the movie, and it wasn't because of the nun's part in the movie. It was just the way she looked. Yeah. But I mean, she looked like a Marilyn Manson video. <laughs> I mean, that's what she had going for. Her. And that was all the movie had going for it. Uh, this is going to be obviously the second spinoff sequel of a story that was apparently real. Right. <laughs> um, using almost entirely fabricated characters. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, the first, of course, yeah. being Annabelle, which has part two coming out next year. Right. And the interesting thing about that is that, uh, uh, what's his name, David Leslie Johnson, I believe he's doing Annabelle 2. Mm-hmm. No, it's the guy who made Lights Out is making Annabelle 2. I don't remember his name, but uh, uh, reportedly the protagonist in that is a nun who is worried that her orphans are becoming prey to an evil entity. Oh my god! Is it the same nun? We don't know. But if it is, it kind of seems like there's this whole universe forming right in front of our eyes. Of. Ki- movies that are exactly the same yeah i'm with you. yeah <laughs> he's creating this like little cinematic universe all spinning off the conjuring movies Fuck. i i hate james Wan. i'm gonna i'm gonna say that <laughs> he is ruining things for me just just go make fast eight and stay away yeah <sighs> But again, but this is an unpopular opinion here, I guess. So I don't fucking care. What the fuck it's, do we know? It's the right opinion. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Um, yeah. Fuck this movie. Fuck all the Wanderverse shit. God damn it. Let's talk about something else. This past week was the Electronics Entertainment Expo, known colloquially as E3. That's E-cubed. Yep. 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 Because of three E's. Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, several horror titles were announced at the annual video game expo, uh, not the least of which was Dead Rising 4. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, another Dead Rising. What makes it so different? I hate myself. Well, let me tell you, Frank West is back. Yeah, buddy. They should have made him look more like Rob Riggle. That would have been awesome. 
Um, I, I've heard rumors that this is a remake. What? Of the first one? Yeah. That's dumb. But I, as far as I can tell, it's not from the stories that I've read as far as the, the storyline of the game. Uh, it's set during Christmas time, and it sounds like Frank comes back to the mall. Why would you do that? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Clean house, maybe? But it doesn't take place entirely in the mall. It also takes place like out on the streets and other places of that nature. Yeah, I saw some screenshots, and it looked like... I don't know. It looked like he was out like on some like promenade or something. Yeah. Did you see the one where he's wearing like the spacesuit? I don't know. Maybe. He wears some kind of like Metroid spacesuit or something that gives him super strength and he's like ripping zombies in half with his bare hands. <laughs> awesome. That's what I love about these games. They're so fucking over the top. I mean yeah. they're 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 kind of based in reality, but like expanded reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he like rips a light pole out of the ground. And there's still like a big <laughs> chunk of concrete on the end, and he's like swinging that at zombies and stuff. Awesome, <laughs> so good. I know. I can't wait for this. Uh, it is going to be an Xbox One exclusive, though. Fuck off. So I'm going to need to upgrade. Yeah, you need to upgrade your life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up uh, was uh, Observer. Um, from the creators of Layers of Fear. I don't know that one. I don't know either. I don't, I don't know this game. I don't care about it. I'm going to skip it. Okay. Uh, up next is Call <laughs> of Cthulhu. Cthulhu is a growing trend. Yeah, which is weird because it's based on something from, what, the 40s? Uh, God, when was H.P. Lovecraft popular? Yeah, maybe 30s, 40s, somewhere in there, yeah. Um, yeah, this is a... It's, it's Oh, well, it's set in the, in the 20s. Uh, it's categorized as an RPG investigation game where players will take control of the lead character Edwin Pierce living in a 1920s Boston, which is shown stranded in fear of an unknown horror creature. I bet it's Cthulhu. It could be. It could very well be Cthulhu. You know, uh, I feel like there are games about Cthulhu that have come out before. I can't name them or even verify that they actually actually exist, but um, it seems like it's a character that's like ripe for a, a game of yeah. some kind. Um, and it's 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 so good because I mean there are like huge Lovecraft fans, but I think probably everybody knows Cthulhu, mm-hmm. and the idea, the concept of Cthulhu is terrifying. If something like that could potentially be real, I mean, obviously it's fantasy, it's fiction, but if something like Cthulhu were a real thing, we'd be fucked. Yeah. You think humanity would be fucked? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is mortifying to think that, that if that were real, what, what state the the planet would be in. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, um. That would be cool to play. Um, now, there was obviously the Silent Hills game that never came to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was the, the PT that I never got to play. But uh, a new Hideo jo- jo- Kojima and Normus Reedon. Wow. I don't know what's happening to me. Normus Reedon. <laughs> Norman Reedus joint... 
It's coming out. Uh, it's called uh, Death Stranding. Um, PS4 Architect. I assume that's somebody that helped develop the system. That's what it sounds like. Uh, Mark Cerny is working on the game. Did you watch the trailer for this? No. It's fucking weird. Really? It doesn't tell you anything. It's basically Norman Reedus wakes up on a beach, buck ass naked. Okay. Just hanging dong. And uh, there's a baby next to him. Weird. And he's connected to this baby by some kind of like electronic umbilical cord. This is very strange. So he picks up the baby and he's holding the baby and he stands up and you can see he's got a huge scar on his stomach and like an upside down crucifix. Mm -hmm. And then he looks out. Oh, no. Then he sees these handprints start appearing and disappearing on his legs. And then he looks out over the ocean and there's like some kind of creatures or something flying like or just like hovering. And then that's it. That's the end of the trailer. What the fuck? Yeah. No idea what it's about. That sounds like a mixture of a bunch of different games. Yeah. I mean, not ones that exist, but just like it sounds like it could be parts of different games. Right. Uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Uh, it's first person, which is new for um, a Resident Evil game. Mm-hmm. It's always been third person. Um. Apparently, this is a, a full VR experience. Right. It's it's compatible with the PlayStation VR, but it's not required. Right. Uh, there's a, currently a demo available to PlayStation Plus members, which I played. Oh, did you? It's pretty cool. That's what I, I heard. It's very... I mean, it's not, not much happens. It's a demo, um, but it's very creepy, very ominous, and it does create... Like, you know, this has been compared a lot to Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. And like I mean that, that's in the game. Like you feel it. Like that Silent Hill. Are there zombies in the demo? No, they're like your character is a cameraman for a crew of like they it's it's a, a ghost hunting TV show I think, and they go into this old or maybe I don't know maybe, maybe not ghost hunting but like they that's what I read. Is it ghost hunting? Okay. Yeah. They go in this old dilapidated house that's supposedly haunted. Um, and like one of the guys disappears and then they, they try to find him in the house and then like they get attacked by some person you don't see. And like they wake up attached to a or the, like your, your guy wakes up tied to a chair. And um, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it was creepy. And, you know, that was when we talked about this before, I think, or maybe it was just the two of us no, talking. We talked about it on the show before. Did we? Uh, they it was said, rumored that it was going to be coming out. Right. Okay. Um, so they, you know, they talked about wanting to go back to the origins of Resident Evil being, you know, creepy and scary. Yeah. And I think that's what they're doing. I mean, I don't know that it has a lot to do, with, like you said, zombies or, um, you know, Umbrella or anything relating to the like the original games it doesn't look that way hmm. but i mean but that is just the demo and i've heard the demo is actually like f- fairly different from the game it's really? kind of it's supposed to give you like the feel of the game but the, the story is completely different really okay yeah. i didn't i did not know that um 
But this is uh, going to f- build on some of the ideas set out in Kitchen, which was a Capcom VR demo um, that people just talked up and down about, about uh, the, just the incredible horror in it. Um, but it's coming to the PS4, uh, Xbox One, and PC on January 24th, 2017. And I tell you, if, if, if they deliver more of what I saw in the demo... I'm in. You're going to get the VR experience? No, I don't want pink eye. <laughs> I saw a headline that was like, Resident Evil 7 is going to make a lot of people sick in VR. It was like, Resident Evil 7 VR experience will make a lot of people sick. And I was like, yeah, pink eye. <laughs> <laughs> and then the article I was reading that I was just talking about, the guy was talking about, he played it like at, a, I don't know if it was at E3 or something, but somewhere. And he was like, I was waiting in line. And when I finally got up there to try on the VR, I was like, you put on the same VR helmet as all these randos? <laughs> You're definitely getting pink eye. Right. You deserve it. might as well eye. as just like shit in your eye. Just take a shit in your own eye. Just poop in your fist. <laughs> and then just rub it in your eyes because that's, that's what you just did. Maybe they have like sanitary like uh, Clorox wipes or something. I fucking hope so. Give it, give it a wipe down. Get rid of all the poop. Particles. Uh, another one that looks really cool is Days Gone. Uh, this is set here in the Pacific Northwest. Two years after a global pandemic has killed almost everyone, but transformed millions of others into what survivors call freakers. Mindless feral creatures, more animal than human, but very much alive and quickly evolving. Mm. So it's basically zombies. But like 28 Days Later, zombies sounds like. Yeah. Or Cell. Cell. <sighs> God, we'll get into that later. Uh, you play as Deacon St. John, a drifter and bounty hunter who would rather risk the dangers of the broken road than live in one of the safe wilderness encampments. Um, <laughs> He's a rebel, Dottie. <laughs> a loner. Uh, the storyline, I mean, this description doesn't really make it sound as cool as it looks in the trailer. See, I, I totally intended to watch all these trailers and I just didn't. <laughs> I just forgot. <laughs> But I think I think oh, this one looks cool. Uh, you know, maybe I'm just biased because it's set in the Northwest, but I think it looks cool. Could be cool. <laughs> Sweet dude. <laughs> uh, the next was Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, I haven't heard about that. Let's talk about Friday the Thirteenth. How fucking good does Friday the Thirteenth look? It looks pretty fucking badass. <laughs> right? I'm so fucking excited about it. They finally revealed some gameplay. And it, it just looks fucking awesome. It looks so good. He I just like play grabs it so the, bad. He just grabs the girl by the back of the head and just slams her face first into this rock and then stomps on her. <laughs> and he crushes another girl's head in a door. <laughs> That's so rad. Oh, and I was reading about it. And um, I guess like when you play as Jason and you have the option to play as Jason or a counselor, um, if you play as Jason, you get you don't just get points for killing people. You get points for creeping them out. So like if you're like very creative about just scaring the shit out of them and not necessarily killing them, you get points for that. That's awesome. They fucking covered their shit like very well in this game. I'm thoroughly impressed with what I've seen so far. I'm really excited. Um, and, you know, I was a, a kickstart Kickstarter backer, so I get my copy as soon as it's done, basically. And you paid to have your name in the game, right? Yeah. Well, it's actually going to be the Great Plot Podcast. So. Woo! Great success. The thumbs. 
Uh, then there's Vampire, set in London, 1918. Vampire. 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 <laughs> Vampire. There's a Y. It's throwing us off. <laughs> Vampire. <laughs> Set in London in 1918, you play as a veteran of World War I named Dr. Jonathan Reed as he tries to come to terms with his transition and the hunger that drives him to kill. So you play as Blade. <laughs> uh, experience points can be gained by feeding on innocent people. <laughs> That's pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, you must decide how many lives must be sacrificed in order for you to find a cure for this disease. All of them. All of them, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. It's a video game. <laughs> kill everyone. <laughs> um... This is going to be on PS4, Xbox One, and PC in 2017. That uh, sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Here They Lie uh, is a game where... Where you burp. Ugh, that was a gross burp, too. Jesus. It, Sound, all, it sounded wet. It was all bubbly. <laughs> um... Game where you explore a nightmare city inhabited by strange, malevolent creatures. This sounds nice and generic. <laughs> uh, you struggle to survive as you wrestle with life or death moral choices and try to uncover the mystery of the woman in yellow. As I understand, this does a lot of the uh, the butterfly effect kind of thing. Uh, okay. Well, I'm into that then. Like, I mean, I've talked uh, until dawn, up and down. Yeah. Yeah, same kind of uh, mechanics, from what I understand. Is it well? That's the the life or death moral choices. Got it. That's kind of how that factors in. Uh, it's a first person, and you know, I'm not, I'm not a first person guy. I don't really. I never really like have it. been either. I mean, you know, they develop these characters like most, or more often than not, the character you're playing at as. Has a look. I mean, they they designed the character, but you're playing in first person. Yeah, and you Why? never see him. Yeah, unless you like look in a mirror or something. Right. Uh, I mean, I I can understand that it's probably easier to develop a game in first person. It's because there's less to work on in each frame. That's true. Just kind of hands, if you want, even decide to put hands in the frame. Right. But. Still, I mean, but I think I think the biggest reason why, at at least going forward, there's going to be more first person games is because of VR. Right, and uh, I'm so worried about VR VR screwing up my gaming experience, Make, having it be the only. Yep. That, man, what's probably going to come in our lifetime? <sighs> I hate things. Well, I mean, at the same time, we thought three. 3D- I hate the future. <laughs> we thought three D movies were going to really take over. Over and they haven't. This is true. In fact, I feel like they're making less and less 3D movies. It does kind of feel that way as well. So, I mean, that's what happened with 3D last time they tried it. Yeah. Same with virtual reality when they tried it in the 90s. This is true also. So, so maybe it'll just have its day and then go away. But I don't know. I keep hearing it's the future of gaming. But that's bullshit. As long as you still give me a choice, that's that's all I care about. Let people who want pink eye can go have pink eye. Just give me the choice of playing with my controller. Right. I mean, that's the joy of playing a video game is you get to do all these activities and and move your thumbs. <laughs> and be a lazy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to fucking put on a mask and pretend like I'm running and, you know, having to, you know, hold up a gun. <laughs> Jeremy was using my 
Google Cardboard thing when he was here last weekend. And he's like walking around. I'm like, I don't think walking does anything. <laughs> he almost ran into the door. Dumbass. Uh, yep. That's it. That's all. That's all horror business. Yep. Nothing left. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Are we not doing reviews? What's no. happening? Oh, fuck it. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. <laughs> no. Um, no, we have do we, we do have reviews. Don't worry. <laughs> but before that, we have a interview. Indeed. So that's going to be a special treat for you guys. Uh, we talked with the guys from Really Awful Horror Movies podcast. Really awful movies. What did I say? You, you said horror movies. Yep. Really awful movies. They do horror movies mostly. mostly they do, they do also cover like old action and sci-fi movies too. So. Right, um, but uh, and also the authors of Death by Umbrella. Correct, uh, is uh, Chris and Jeff. So uh, let's see how that conversation went. You can stand under my umbrella, Ella, Ella, Hey guys, you're here with Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror, and today we are finally, <laughs> finally, with our special guests, the guys from uh, Really Awful Movies, uh, with Jeff Kirshner and Chris Lombardo. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing well, it's a pleasure. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, what, three times did we try this? Uh, at least. No. <laughs> Seems like something went wrong every time. But we've... Yeah, they, you know, they say it's the third time, though, right? It's always a charm, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, thanks for bearing with us uh, through all of our technical difficulties. Um, but, not, a, but, not a problem at all. But everything checks out this time, so we're going to make it through it. Yeah, we're, we're actually recording you now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I guess to start off with, uh, why don't you guys uh, just uh, maybe take a turn and uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves and maybe how you uh, got into horror Oh, well, I guess uh, me and my friends used to rent every movie with the word massacre in the title. And I was about, like, uh, 12, uh, 12 or 13. And so everything, like sorority house, uh, you know, slumber party, hospital, you name it, anything with massacre, we would seek it out and be sort of, if you want to say, massacre completist. And uh, uh, part of this series was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that was the first bona fide horror film that we'd all seen and we were full of you know bravado and teen you know braggadocio and trying to tell us ourselves oh yeah we're not going to be afraid of this and <laughs> when we all saw texas chainsaw massacre we were disappointed by the lack of gore and the restraint that's and always been so my we complaint we were and and so as a result we started pushing the limits after that and the mm-hmm. things uh, you know ballooned from there and just wanted to see how far we could uh, push ourselves aesthetically. And then now that I've revisited Texas Chainsaw, I can really, really, really appreciate the restraint and the taste and the horror that comes from not showing everything. So it was really, I mean, it left an indelible mark for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me it was a bit different. Uh, I didn't get into horror until I'd say my early 20s. Reason being is, as a kid, I was way too afraid to watch these movies. I would go to slumber parties and... Uh, 
friends would uh, rent, let's say, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 or something, and while they were watching it, I would be uh, kind of huddled in the covers, like, your phone's in my ear, you know, I don't want to hear this thing. And I was just absolutely terrified. And um, when I was in my early 20s, I was working in a video store, and I just, I don't know, I, just, I had access to all these movies, and I could take home any movie I wanted. And um, for some reason, I just said to myself, enough's enough of being afraid, and I took out uh, Friday 13, Part 4, the final chapter, which, as we know, was not the final chapter, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, um, I, yeah, I took it home, and I popped it in, and it was an ordeal. I mean, I, was, I watched that thing, and I was, like, sweating, and, like, gripping my, my sheets in my bed, and but I don't know, after I watched it, I felt something come alive in me all of a sudden, and this love for the horror, and I, the next day, I just took out something else, and I took out something else, and I started, I, I just dove right into the deep end, and I started doing tons of research, and going to the library, and reading as many books as I could, and making treks downtown to find, you know, really... Uh, at that time, obscure, you know, Italian horror, like Yellows, like, you know, your Hitchcocks, not your Hitchcocks, sorry, your um, Argentos and your Fulci's and whatnot, and just, yeah, becoming a real horror connoisseur. So I went from nothing to everything I get my hands on in a very short period of time. Very cool. Nice. So how did uh, the Really Awful Movies podcast start? Um, well, it was something my mom said, because, uh, you know, I was... And, you know, uh, knee deep in all this just complete dreck that I was watching, you know, whether, you know, personal favorite of mine is Hospital Massacre and anything where someone is skewered by something, I was going to watch it and bikini clad women running around and getting macheted. I was really into this. And my mom said at some point, why do you watch those awful movies? And I said, oh, that's a great handle for for a website. And it's, you know, it's been a double-edged sword, shall we say, when we try and... Uh, secure interviews with the likes of, let's say, Barbara Crampton, just like one example. <laughs> and people don't get that these movies, we hold these movies in high esteem and high reverence. And it's not like we're, you know, uh, we're above the fray or making fun of them. Like We, we hold these in, uh, you know, high esteem. So it's, it's been a bit of an issue, but we're overcoming it now. So, yeah, it's devoted to all things genre, predominantly horror and you know, horror is our first love, so it's going to focus on that, I guess, 70%. I think it's too. I mean, we start off with just a blog, and then, um, but Chris and I, I mean, we've been friends since high school, and uh, every time we get together for a beer or something, we uh, invariably talk about movies, and they would, then the conversation would veer towards horror movies. And I love their conversations. I thought to myself, man, like, if we could just record these, you know, here, you know, two friends having a beer and uh, talk about a horror movie, this would be a great podcast. So we figured... Let's let's give it a go. And um yeah, so I don't know, how long was it after we started the vlog and we started the podcast? Do you recall? Was it about probably a year? No, I think it was only about four or five months really. Oh, okay. And uh yeah, we started and we just recorded a couple episodes and the first were <laughs> kinda of crappy and then uh oh, they were <laughs> dreadful. Yeah. Yeah, they were awful. <laughs> really awful. They were really awful podcasts. But uh yeah. Um yeah, we just started getting more you know, getting more comfortable and then, you know, we sort of found our groove and uh it's been amazing. It's, been, it's just been an amazing ride. I mean, finding out that there's an audience out there for this and um, being able to go to various horror conventions as, as, let's say, media and meeting some of our heroes, interviewing them, and ultimately getting a book deal out of this. It's been an incredible experience. And um, the other thing, too, with the uh, 
the name, as you were saying earlier, um, you know, I mean, the reality is most people do get it. I mean, we do also love those the really awful movies you like talking about, like your mouse has a fate or your uh, York. Well, yeah, that's not really a horror movie, but yeah, we, oh, yeah, yeah. we, we love talking about those movies too. But we always look for the good in those movies. So even though people, you know, we're not here to dump on movies and say, well, this movie's a piece of shit, we have to kind of stay clear of those movies as much as we can. And uh, really, what the, our website is and what our podcast is, is a celebration of genre cinema, uh, whether it be the good, the bad, or the ugly, and um, predominantly horror. Nice. It's, it's, it's always fun to talk to other podcasters to hear how similar some origin stories are. They know are. the plight. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when you guys were talking about how how the podcast came about, it sounded like you're almost reciting, like, exactly how ours started. Our origin so, story. Um, so I, it's, right down to the very shitty first episodes. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird, because I actually thought it was a good episode until I gave it a listen about two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought, let's, let's listen to the first episode to see what, uh, you know, how we've improved. Oh, my God. Can I think this up iTunes? You know? <laughs> Well, luckily, it's only 12 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the proverbial restaurant at the bad food. It's like, oh, the portions are too small. So it was like, you know, it was bad and it was short. So we got out of there uh, unscathed, I uh, think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was awesome. yeah it see, our, there, it's up there. So, yeah. Our first episode was about, what, an hour and a half long or so? Yeah. And so we suffered through Which, by current standards, is relatively short. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, we started out, you know, almost did it like we were reporting, like, like uh, news anchors. It's like, hi, welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast, and you know yeah, that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? Quick, start off by saying, "Hey, Jeff, how are you?" Oh, I'm fine, Chris. Uh, so, uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, actually. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think the thing is with with horror fans. I mean, we love to. Um, we're so passionate about this uh, this genre and what we love, and we just love to talk about it and. Ultimately, we end up uh, sharing our passions with our friends. If you have a like-minded person, uh, you might as well just, you know, do a podcast, and you're going to find that uh, there's a lot of people out there that really love this stuff. And yeah, there there are people. It's like uh, it's like Freddy Krueger saying, you know, you're all my children now. You know, we're all together in this thing, and uh, we all, you know, we're all one in this, one in the same. We all love this amazing world of horror. So yeah, for sure. And I think that's what sets horror in general apart from other genre fans. It's just because we know that we're kind of like the underdogs. And so we all kind of unite together and, you know, we don't really, mm-hmm. I mean, except for the people I think that have probably gotten into the genre, you know, in the last five to 10 years, you know, they got this, like this new age horror. That's just not really horror by old school standards. Um, I think they're kind of a little snobbish, <laughs> But you know us, us old dogs. They like we all kind of unite together because it's like it's it's all horror. I mean, it's some's good, some bad, but it's all horror. So just mm-hmm. unite together. <laughs> yeah, there's there some YouTube horror fans. I mean, we really, in a sense, we suffer for our, our passions because we do watch a lot of really bad movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the genre is, I mean, for all the classics that are that we revere, I mean, there's a lot of really, really, there's a lot of shit that we got. Do you, sorry, you guys were in this podcast? Sorry? I usually ask that first. You guys were in your podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of shit that's made. and But we watch it because, you know, we, we love the genre, and we're going to watch, you know, 20 
shitty movies to get to that one gem, you know? But mm -hmm. uh, it's funny because when I started, um, as I said before, I got into photo late in life, and um, so I was in my 20s and early 20s, and all of a sudden I'm talking about all these movies that I'm watching, and I'm telling people, oh, you got to see this movie. I just saw this wicked scene where this woman's head got pushed into this splinter and it went into her eye, and all the awkward fluid was everywhere, and, you know, and people <laughs> looking at me going, what the? What is going on with you? Like, you be such a, such a nice guy, and what are you becoming? And I'm, and right away, I'm like thinking to myself, well, what does like life in a horror movie? How does that preclude you from being a nice person? <laughs> and I find, you know, the more and more uh, horror fans that I meet, I mean, I just came back from a horror convention um, a couple weeks ago, and I don't think I was surrounded by a, a group of nicer people in a long, long time. I, you know, horror fans because we share this passion, maybe we don't like the same movies, but we because we like the genre as a whole, we just have this instant friendship, this instant kinship, and it's it's something very... You don't get this for like people who love romantic comedies, you know? Right. There's no romantic comedy... Uh, yes, I love you. Yeah, yeah there's, fan club, there's no, like, you know, Sandra Bullock conventions. Where people are like, oh, you like, yeah, you like that movie? Uh, the proposal's Ron Reynolds? Well, you're my best friend now, you know? So. You guys don't go to Love Actually Con every year? <laughs> No, I got stuff for my wife watching it every Christmas. That's not bad enough. Any so movie with a comma in the title is bad. Oh, man, there's a lot of horror movies comments in there. No, okay, I'm not horror. But... Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you mentioned earlier about uh, getting a book deal. Uh, and yeah. I think, uh, namely, we could talk about Death by Umbrella, the 100 mm -hmm. weirdest horror movie weapons. So, um, you know, we you guys did us the courtesy and sending sending us a copy of that and there were some weird horror kills that like I didn't even know about. <laughs> um so why don't you tell us a little bit about that book? Okay. Uh, before I'll let Chris uh, take that but before I say I think it was a little bit uh when I said book deal it was a little exaggerating. We, we have, it's one book. We got we, <laughs> we got a deal for one book, not for like a series. We're hoping sure. to get another one out there soon. But yeah, hey you never know. Chris, you wanted to talk about uh so you're the one that came up with the idea, so why don't you take that? Well, I guess a slumber party massacre, uh, speaking to my massacre theme, all things <laughs> massacre, uh, stuck with me because I'm also a guitar player. And I thought that it was just so uh, over the top, and this, this, it took so much chutzpah to put together a driller, killer, guitar antagonist like that. And I thought that's so inane. And that stuck with me for years because it's not a particularly good movie. I mean, the guy... <laughs> Is sort of an Elvis. Like, I like it. Well, I get it. He shimmies his hips and he has, has these awful songs and he kills his victim. It's an okay movie. It's good songs. But yeah, I thought oh, that, that would um, be interesting if we could track down all these different unique uh, killing implements. And then that led to this book. And I, I come from the publishing world, so like I'm a humor author. I've, uh, I've done work in mainstream publishing with uh, Penguin. And I thought, oh, this would be a way to have another kick at the can, and I need someone who knows way more about horror movies than I do. I'm, I don't want to say like I'm a dabbler in it, like I've seen hundreds, maybe thousands, but my knowledge pales in comparison to, to, to Jeff, so I needed someone to really help me out, and then we fused our sensibilities together, and this is the end product, and I think it really works as a result. How much research yeah, did you guys have to do? Like how long... What? How many different movies did you have to watch? I'd say I at say least quite big. Yeah, no, I think we, we did a lot because at the very beginning, we 
Yeah, we sat down and we thought, you know, what can we put into this book? And we made a little list. And I think we had about, like, was it 40 or 50 movies? Yeah, the obvious ones, like your full cheese and, and whatever your merits yeah. with the hearing aid and whatever. And stuff that we was, that we saw, like, in the course of writing uh, the blog and, you know, things like you were talking about pleasure and something to discover. I think really invigorated you when you had good death by egg beater. Yes, yeah. And the singer from Anthrax was in that shitty movie as well. So it was really fun, like, as a metalhead. <laughs> so we we had just by sitting down and you know making a list. Oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? Okay, we're not going to include this because that's too obvious. It's not a weird weapon. We had a list of let's say about fifty, forty or fifty movies. Well, okay, now we have to because if we were to write let's say Death by Umbrella, the fifty-three weirdest horror movie weapons, it just wouldn't have the right ring. Right. You got to have a nice round number, right? So hundred. Okay. So now we got to start uh, doing some research. And, uh, yeah, thank God for the internet. Uh, thank God for the fact that we have a video store close to us with a really knowledgeable owner. We were also able to pick his brain and we were able to rent a lot of these movies. And yeah, we just start compiling up the list and the list would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we started buying into chapters. And, um, I think of it all, I think we actually, we had more than a hundred because we started putting on little mentions and stuff. So we did do a lot of research, but the reality of the matter is that, you know, when someone tells me the word research, I think, well, boring, tedious. Or someone in a lab trying to replicate the results of some sort of drug. But this is just <laughs> this is what we do in our spare time anyway. Like, we're watching these shitty movies. Like, we love this stuff. Yeah. So it's not, not work at all. For sure. So it was fun. And every time we would discover something new or wacky or whatever, it's like, oh, yeah, score, another great one to put in the book. So I think that was almost, uh, I mean, I can't, you know, the writing was, was fun, but uh, that, I think, was the funnest process, really. It was just... Uh, Populating the the hundred. We had the hundred before we started actually writing, and we made sure that we would be able to fulfill that commitment of a hundred weird horror movie weapons before we started writing our entries. So yeah, that was that was it was a lot of research, but it was a, it was fun, and I think it made my favorite part of the whole process. Yeah, they say you know love what you do, and you'll never work a day in your life. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there anything you feel like you missed? Um, that's a good question. Um, are you going to save it for you know, 100 more weirdest <laughs> uh, uh, horror movie weapons? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I don't think we missed anything that glaring. If there was, I remember because I, um, I do a bit of writing for uh, Red Central, and they were nice enough to, uh, you know, right out, right out of the gate, like the day after the book was uh, published, they uh, did a little press release announcement on the site and went up on Facebook, and some people started commenting about what they would think would be in the book. And most of the movies were um, that they were saying were stuff we had covered. But there's one or two that slipped our radar. And I cannot recall the moment what those movies are. But I don't think we had any major omissions. But we might have replicated the same weapon, too, if we did miss the movie. Mm -hmm. So I think we had it covered on that front. Exactly, that's true. But um, the thing with the horror, I mean, you know, we, we haven't stopped watching since we, had the, we wrote the book. And, you know, it's such a creative genre, and more and more filmmakers have to come up with more and more unique ways of uh, offering their characters. So we, since the book has come out, I've noticed a lot of uh, movies and, and weapons and whatnot that I would say, oh, that would have been cool, that would have been cool, and hey, man, maybe down the road we'll be able to write a second volume and include those. Are there any in particular that you can uh, pick up that we, uh, we can put in there? You know, I... I was uh, reading through the book, and mm -hmm. I'm, I keep 
coming up with ones. And I'm like, oh, nope, there it is. <laughs> so you guys had it pretty well covered. You did a really good job. Did you include rubber? I think we did, I think we did a good job. I, I do. I think we really managed to cover the majority of them. As I said before, there might have been one or two, but I don't think there's any really glaring ambition. Was rubber like in there? We, sorry? Was rubber in there about the killer tire? Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love a sentient tire killing people. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Chris, you, you actually wrote a couple other books, right? Uh, one published independently and, uh, one with, uh, Penguin. And that was, uh, the man who scared a shark to death and other true tales of drunken debauchery. Uh, yeah, there's a, t- a titular mouthful for you. I, I did not choose that title. <laughs> oh, you, um, you didn't choose the title. worst title when I was doing press for that on like talk radio and the, you know, uh, in Toronto and whatever Montreal it is really bad, but again, I, I think I think the original title was Lampshade Escapade, which is also pretty bad, but at, at least short, <laughs> and at least I came up with that one. How do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> so, what's the story behind that one? Um, I guess it was uh, I got sent to me a bunch of Darwin Award type books, and the publisher wanted something in a similar vein of real-life uh, funny stuff, and uh, somehow it came about. And there was no shortage of real-world material there, let me tell you. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, you guys... Yeah, hell, I could have filled it with personal anecdotes, but uh, <laughs> you know, none of them have made the papers, but for sure. Like, that was research from all over the world using, like, Reuters, uh, American, you know, uh, or Newswire, uh, Canadian press, uh, all sorts of uh, news outlets to find like the weirdest drunken stories. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, I bet. So like I always had one foot in the uh, publishing business, and uh, we would like to do more. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll you know see about doing a sequel to this, even if it's in a different realm, but something to do with cinema for sure. Oh yeah. Well, we got we we're sort of right now in the very early stages of another book. I'm not to say much more than that. Uh, it's not a sequel to Death by Umbrella, but that could be something down the road. But it's definitely, it will be, it's would spin out of our podcast and everything. All right. Cool. Uh, how did you guys get hooked up with Lloyd Kaufman? Because he wrote the, the foreword for Death by Umbrella. Yeah, that, I mean, Lloyd's amazing. Um, I've always, even before I started watching horror, I've always had a fascination with uh, with trauma. Um, a lot of it just came from walking up and down the aisles of video stores and seeing the Toxic Avengers, just seeing the box. And just being so fascinated by this this character, because um, it really struck me as a, um, a comical character. Uh, and I was too young to rent the movies. I wasn't um, allowed to rent the movies. But then, yeah, I mean, going back to the district I worked at, they had Toxic Avenger 1, 2, and 3. And almost immediately, I just became a trauma fanatic, and I started watching anything trauma I could get my hands on. And about, I'd say about two years later, what was in town to promote, um, I believe it was his first book. Everything I learned, I learned from Toxic Avenger. I, I think I got to tell wrong, but he was doing an in-store signing at a record store. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I'm going to meet Cotton. This guy's my hero. And I went down to the store. He was supposed to start uh, the signing at three. Now, not knowing how many people would be there, I figured, okay, I better get there really early. And I got there at, like, noon. <laughs> and there was no lineup. But, I mean, it did fill up when Lloyd was finally there at 3. But 
I went with this was with like a, an ex-girlfriend of mine at the time, and as we're outside the store, and I'm having a cigarette. She goes, "Hey, there's that guy, that that funny-looking guy with the bow tie." We're gonna see one of your solo movies you like, and I'm like, "Holy shit, there he is!" And he just walked out of the store browsing, and I walked in and introduced myself, and we had this incredible conversation for about, I'd say, about 30, 40 minutes. And that was amazing. I was on cloud nine. And then when he actually did the signing, he also did a, uh, did a symposium talking about independent cinema. I just, uh, it really solidified my love for Lloyd. And then I was absolutely amazed when two years later, he was back in Toronto and I met him again for um, a screening of one of his films. And he remembered my name. And that's, that's Lloyd. He's somebody that just remembers, he meets so many fans. And he, he just remembers people. And he's such a great um, person. And so over the years, we've maintained this friendship. And anytime boys in town, always come meet. I guess I'm one of Lloyd's stalkers. <laughs> when uh, we started writing this book, we wanted to get someone to uh, write a foreword. And right away, I thought, it's got to be Lloyd Kaufman. And it was as simple as sending him a Facebook message, because we're friends on Facebook. And I said, Lloyd, I'd love it if you would do this. You obviously say, no, you're a busy man. That's cool. You will be back maybe if two days later. I said, yep, not a problem whatsoever. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard several stories about Lloyd Kaufman just being like the most approachable guy in in film. So like, it's it's awesome to hear like firsthand like a story like that to know that he is just like the nicest guy and willing to help out pretty much anyone. And that's the thing about Lloyd. I mean, he really is. Um, you know, he's such a champion for uh, for people that create and uh, for independent um, filmmakers. So he'll act in any movie for free. Uh, I think if you just pay for his plate there, he'll, he'll act in your movie. And, yeah, he's just, he wants to sort of pay for it. He wants to help. And because of that, there's this whole people, group of people around him, you know, that we've, we've kind of grown up. We're all like, we're Lloyd's kids. You know, we're the Trauma Army. And, yeah, it's amazing. Like, he was at this convention I was at a couple weeks ago, and he's just the nicest guy. Just, and I met his wife for the first time, too, and she was really, really sweet. So... I love Lloyd. I, I'm and I'm really, really thankful he wrote the forward because it was almost like a it's like a dream come true. I mean, one of the first major interviews that we scored when we started the podcast was was Lloyd, and that was a dream come true. It's actually interviewed him in a professional capacity, and then to have him write the forward for my first book, not Chris's first book, but my first book. You know, it's just it's amazing, absolutely incredible. He's such a wonderful man. So that's awesome. Me and Tony are over here flashing each other glances like, maybe we should get Lloyd on the show. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, he would do it. I, I'm, I don't want to speak for Lloyd about his agent, but Lloyd is one who will, he's, it's hard for him to say no. And that's a good thing, I think. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and he is such a funny guy, too. If you get him on the show, he'll just be in stitches laughing. Too, so and you'll you'll be the butt of his jokes as we were uh, the butt of his and then the forward mm-hmm. as well. It's just great. That's what we really wanted from him. Yeah, it's it's funny reading that and seeing he's kind of slamming you guys a little bit. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish he'd done it a bit more. Like, I, I sent him something that to to give him a little bit of inspiration, and it was very self-deprecating. And then uh, you know he came back with something like equally so. But I wish he'd uh, you know really stuck it to us. <laughs> And even when, um, when I saw him at the convention a couple weeks ago and uh, I interviewed him yet again and he kept on ta- referring to the book as uh, The Purple Umbrella. So I was like, oh, we're all right. Got to with Lloyd, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you guys are a part of the Crypt TV family, which is becoming mm-hmm. quite the growing, I don't know, network. club, network, something. <laughs> Can't really yep. think of quite the right word for it, but uh, how did that come about? Yeah, the Crypt TV, it's, it's, it's interesting because I started seeing a lot of um, different uh, websites and um, podcasts and YouTube channels um, saying that they were a membership of, they were a member of Crypt TV. And uh, I, it was started by Eli Roth, and uh, I thought, oh, interesting. And I said, okay, well, let's see if we can contact these guys and see what may come out of it. So I shot them an email, and uh, they responded and said, uh, what do you guys do? So we have a podcast, listen to your show, they liked it, and then we became part of uh, the Crip family. And it, it's really just a group of like-minded individuals who, I mean, they have one thing they're doing where they produce a lot of digital content for their Facebook page, and that's going to, I think, burst into a YouTube page, and on and on. There's quite a lot of independent filmmakers, but then we have, they have a lot of, websites, podcasts, and uh, YouTube channels. They're all under one umbrella. And we all sort of share the same aesthetic in the sense like we all just are fans of uh, either horror, the macabre, the bizarre, mm-hmm. what have you. Yeah, we had uh, uh, Jack Davis on the show uh, right, yeah. probably a couple of years ago. Now. Fairly early on, yeah. Uh, and that was back like when Crypt TV was, it was just an app on yeah, the Yeah, it, it was an app, um, and that was it. It was, it was like a, basically a horror social network at that point. Um, so nobody wants, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it's been amazing to see how much that's grown in such a relatively short time. So, Yeah, no, definitely credit to Jack. I mean, he's definitely way more hands-on, I would say, than Eli Roth, and uh, he's definitely uh, building this thing to something pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was very seemed very passionate about it when we talked to him. Um and yeah. probably that weird is good philosophy, which I really relate to as well. I'm sure Jack talked about that. Yeah, he did. All right, guys. Well, um, I think we've uh, <laughs> tied you up for long enough. So we'll, I guess we'll go ahead and uh, and uh, wrap this up. Um, but before I do, do you guys have uh, any any websites or Twitter handles or anything that you, you'd like to plug? Uh, sure. All the above. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reallyawfulmovies.com. And it's updated as frequently as humanly possible www.reallyawfulmovies.com yes uh, awful underscore movies on Twitter and of course uh, Death for Umbrella and available at Amazon uh, chapters in Canada uh, Barnes and Noble and your better bookstores and maybe your worst ones as well <laughs> uh, yeah look for it find it it's getting good reviews and and that's been very humbling and flattering for us to get kudos in uh, screen that was really great and we're thrilled Mm-hmm. And also feature Ellie Weekly, which is beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And of course, Facebook, too. And that's all. This is all linked through our main website, which would be, of course, reallyawfulmovies.com. Cool. All right. Well, Chris, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, again, thanks for bearing, bearing with us till we, we finally got, got this right. This. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, take take it easy. Hope to have you on maybe sometime down the line, and uh, wish you the best of luck in the future. So uh, take yeah, care, guys. Thank you. Okay. All right. Take care, guys. Take care. Right. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. It's right off the highway. Wobble dee wobble dee drop into my great plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Cause I got the bomb spot right off the highway.
That was a nice chat. Lovely gentlemen. Good dudes. Uh, thanks again for coming on, guys. Uh, go check them out. Um, and uh, give them your support. Onwards to our reviews. That wasn't a great intro. No, it was pretty terrible. You could say it was really awful. Ah, ah, tie-in. <laughs> um, anyway, so we got two movies. Which one do you want to do first? Uh, let's do Crush the Skull first. Okay. So, uh, what's the plan? 7 a.m. we leave from here. 8.30 we arrive at the house. I back the van all the way up to the front. 8.35, you pick the lock and open the side door. All right, guys, let me show you how the big boys do it. What are you going to get? My girlfriend needs bigger boobs. First thing I'm buying. Yours are real, huh? I don't see him. How long has it been? Just a few minutes. Hey, Blair, maybe I should come down there. No, we got this, all right? Blair? What's going on? I'm trying to find a way out. But everything's locked from the outside, and these locks, I've never seen anything like them. What about calling out? Nothing works. So phone's walkie, everything's just no signal. I already checked there. Starts first in these situations. The black guy. Is someone there? He's gonna get back here. He's gonna kill us. He's not right. <laughs> Crush the Skull is the story of a group of burglars. Um, they're robbers. <laughs> right. Uh, because they're, they're in 10th grade. And yeah. Robbers. I like that they tell people that they're robbers. Too. <laughs> uh, Ollie and Blair, who are a couple, and Blair's brother, Colin or Connor? Uh, it's... Um Connor. Connor. And Connor's crew, Riley. <laughs> right. Uh, the Asian that acts black. Yeah, even says he's black. Right. Uh, they, they've been casing this house for two weeks, which is just not enough time. It's not enough time. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Right. Uh, but they break in, and as soon as they break in, they find that they can't get out. Uh, the the windows are coated in something that I don't remember what they said. Palladium. Palladium, which means they can't be broken. Correct. And uh, all the doors are locked from the outside. 
So they find a, uh, a secret door. Oh, and, the, and the, all their cell phones don't work because there's, there's a jammer. Right. So they find a secret door that leads down to an underground lair. <laughs> it's a very elaborate lair. Yeah. I wonder how long it took them to, to build all that. Because all the doors down there are they're, they're big metal sliding doors, but they're all mechanical. They can all be controlled from a remote location. You know what cracked me up? And, you know, but this is jumping ahead in the story a little bit. They keep getting separated by these doors. Yeah. And it takes them so long to realize that somebody's controlling them and it's not happening randomly. Yeah. <laughs> not only that, but like they keep not going into the room together. Right. Walking side by side. Yeah. Or even just like, you know, back to chest. You could still get in fast enough. The doors aren't don't move that fast. Sure, but they just keep give, putting gaps in between them because mm-hmm. they're dum dums. Uh, in one of the rooms, they come across this girl who's locked in a uh, clear box. Box of emotion, glass case of emotion. Yep. <laughs> and so they uh, they let her out. She she joins the crew. And then uh, people start getting killed. Getting killed. Yep. It's because the dumb shits uh, thought that the owner was gone. <laughs> but he's not. He's not. Because two weeks is just not enough time. It's not enough time. <laughs> Everybody knows that. And turns out he's a psycho deranged serial killer. Right. It's never really explained why they picked that house. No, I mean, it is a nice house. Sure, but you don't really see much of the house. That's true. Only really the outside. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it could be anywhere, but it looked like a house that was, like, up in, like, the hills in the L.A. area or something. They said it was kind of, like, out of the way. So I wonder if that was another reason they picked it, is because less chance of getting caught. That could be. Uh... And then what's his face? Ollie, Connor, Riley. Ollie, uh, he and his girlfriend, um, Blair. Blair, God, can't remember. You, you, I'm like I'm looking at the IMDb, and you'd think like the lead actors would be first, but no. Who's first? Uh, well, I mean, there's the killer, then there's Riley, then there's Ollie. And then there's torture vic- video victim. What? And then the sheriff, and then the officer that's in there for like a minute. You can barely see the the chick on the video, right? Yeah, yeah. They discover this room, and they they pull back a tarp, and it's just a room that's all tarped off. And there's a TV hanging from the ceiling <laughs> by a chain. Yeah. Yeah. And they they turn on the the TV, and there's video of. Some chick getting tortured and stabbed. And there's stacks of VHS tapes. <laughs> well, you know, that's been a go-to for serial killers for, you know, decades. That's so true. Why, why change? Yeah, Ollie's like, so he's a, he's a low-budget horror movie fan <laughs> with really good special effects budgets. Right. Uh, this, this movie is billed as a horror comedy. But I like that the comedy's not like super slapsticky. Yeah. Um, you've got Riley who's really dumb. 
and he's most of the comic relief. Yeah. I mean, most of the comedy is just solely based around the ineptitude of all these people. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole crew, crew of robbers, they're like not good at what they do at all. Yeah. Uh, Connor is the leader. He's the self-appointed leader. Right. And you kind of get the feeling this might be his first time leading a heist. It's heist, yeah. <laughs> he keeps calling it a heist and getting mad when anyone doesn't call it a heist. Right. But yeah, when they uh, when they encounter the the girl in the glass case of emotions, he's he's like, "We're robbers. I'm the leader. We're pulling a heist." Right. <laughs> and she's like, "You're robbers." Well, and then she like. He says that uh, she, she they can't. She starts crying and says they can't possibly be robbers and like they they work for him because everybody knows <laughs> that two weeks is not long <laughs> enough to case a place. I like when they find her. Riley's like, "Do you want some food?" And she's like, "Oh my god, yes." And he's like, "I don't have any." Right. <laughs> it's like he's reaching in his pockets, like like saying, "Do you want some food?" Was going to magically put some kind of scrap <laughs> of food in his pocket. Like he was going to summon it up or something. I like how like when you first meet Riley, him and Connor are planning out this this heist. And uh, Ollie and Blair come in. And she's, uh, Blair is saying, you know, she's talking to Connor and he's, she's like, who's this fucking guy talking about Riley? And he's like, who am I? I've known him for six months. We go way back. Who are you? (laughs) She's like, I'm his sister. (laughs) So, what'd you think of this? Um, it wasn't great, but it was, it was pretty good. I mean, it was decent, I thought. Yeah. I, I thought it was funny. I laughed out loud a few times. Yeah, I, I chuckled at a few parts. I like when Riley was like, what are you going to do with your share of the money? <laughs> I'm going to buy boobs. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about like wanting to go on this, uh, this spaceship to Mars. He was going to buy boobs for his girlfriend because she was mad at him because he wants to go to Mars. <laughs> it was like, like he was like genuinely like really wanting to do it. Like he had to put like a deposit down for the, for the, the trip to Mars or something. And, uh, he's like, man, they're not going to pick me. It's like, no, probably not. <laughs> I could be the Magellan of space. <laughs> I mean, probably not Magellan, but like his first mate. <laughs> yeah, and it was a one-way trip. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this movie was... It had its funny parts. I think the funny parts were definitely more effective than the horror parts. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they say comedy's hard to do. Is it? <laughs> um, the gore effects were decent for what seems like it was a fairly low budget movie. But all the blood splatter. All the blood was splatter was CGI and it was obviously CGI and it sucked. Yeah, and it's like, why? 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 That's so easy to do. Yeah. Put like a. Squibs are so easy. You don't even need squibs for that. You put blood in a fucking Ziploc bag or something. Ketchup Put, bottle. Or, yeah. Or, or that. A squeezable ketchup bottle or a spray bottle. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like, you know, for when, the, when he got him stabbing somebody, and, you know, every time the knife comes up, it spatters blood. It's like, like I said, put a 
bag or, or something. Maybe, maybe not a bag. Maybe something that won't leak as easily. But uh, I don't know. Something absorbent, like a like a like a big sponge or something. Soak up some uh, fake blood, wrap it in a t-shirt, and stab it. Yeah. Cheap, effective. Yeah. <laughs> and looks better than CGI blood. Yeah. Because I don't care how much money you spend on blood or CGI blood. It's never going to look right. Yeah. Because computers cannot get Especially if you're in a low-budget right. flick. Like, you know your CGI is not going to be as good. Yeah. So um, just, just do it. Uh, apparently, a tripod wasn't in the budget. <laughs> this was, like, all handheld. Uh, and... Not good camera work, to be completely <laughs> the honest. The part where the guy is hanging from the ceiling, and like, first of all, it's very obvious that he's wearing a harness. Right. Yeah. Because his shirt comes up to the back of his head. Well, it's like if you look at like pretty much anything where somebody's being hung, it, it kind of always looks like that. It's always fairly obvious. Yeah. yeah. But this one in, in particular is especially obvious. But the camera, like, showed his head and then very quickly panned down to his crotch. <laughs> like, it was like. Oh, he's hanging. Oh, shit. That's really obvious. And he's like, my dick. <laughs> then the guy just whips it out. And they're like, no, you're dead. Cut. <laughs> he's got this raging heart on. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, Popped a couple of Viagras. And I got a raging mega huge boner. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, though, like, I don't think there was a single tripod uh, shot in this movie. It was all shot handheld as far and, as I could yeah. tell. Um, it looked like an Arrested Development episode. <laughs> yeah, it kind of did. Like just, it was that kind of camera work, like really shifty, kind of shaky, um, really, real quick, like zoom in and zoom outs. And if this was just, if this was just a comedy and it was like supposed to be kind of like Arrested Development type humor. That probably would have worked, mm-hmm. but the fact that it was like kind of like I mean it was a horror movie essentially, um, with you know c- comedic elements, right? Um, it's just that wasn't that wasn't right for this, and it looked out of place. It it, it uh, didn't really give the movie the right feel that it should have had. I guess. Yeah, I could see that. The lighting was weird too because like you had you know the the hallway of the lair or whatever was was really dark mm-hmm. but then like one of the rooms they went into was really brightly lit like a hospital room or something yeah and then other rooms were also really dark and so it was it kind of this really strong switch back and forth mm-hmm. that was kind of jarring there's like some backstory in this too that at the very beginning and the very end like tied together. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh I mean it, it's not that it didn't make sense. I just seemed well, unnecessary. Yeah, it's just like it's this is extra story that I don't What really did you think need. of the the twist? Uh I mean it wasn't that Did you shocking. did you see it coming? I don't know that I saw because it. they kind of set it up a little, but they also give you doubt. Yeah. Um I don't know that I saw it coming, I guess, but at the same time, I wasn't surprised. Like, when it happened, it's just like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I was, too. It wasn't wasn't shocking. 
and it wasn't really surprising. It was just kind of like, because it was almost like they went, it's either going to be A or B, and then it was like, okay, it's B, and you went, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was going to be one of those, so neither one would have surprised me. (laughs) Um, You know, something that really holds, or, you know, drags a movie down, you know, especially a low-budget one, uh, is bad acting, and that bit. The acting was actually pretty good in this, I thought. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, I mean, when I saw it start up, I was really expecting just some real shit acting. But they actually did a a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the the funny parts delivered. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it wasn't like a, a knee slapper, I guess, but like. The, the parts that were supposed to be funny were funny. Yeah. It's not like any of the jokes like fell flat. Yeah. So. I agree. I thought the comedy was pretty good. Um, some, of, some of the gore effects could have been better. It, it relied too heavily on CGI, especially for a low budget movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in theory, you'd think, oh, well, CGI is cheaper than having to do practical effects and do multiple reshoots. Yeah. But. The problem is when your budget is low, the CGI doesn't look as good. Yeah. And that would, if you're going to use practical effects, it gives you more encouragement to do it right the first time. True. Um, this is also one of those movies that, that says the name of the movie, but they do it in such a like wink, wink, nudge, nudge way. It's clear they wanted you to realize they were saying the name of the yeah, movie. Yeah, that was like really like ham fisted. Yeah, one of the characters is like, on the ground, another character says, "We have to make sure they're dead. We have to stab them in the heart, or cut off their head, or." And then they look at the camera, but not like right into the camera. Like just kind of look over in the camera's direction and crush the skull. It's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we get it. <laughs> I was like. Like not even worth going. Oh, they said it because <laughs> it was so obvious. And that was the last line in the movie too. Yeah, it was kind of like bite in that way. Yeah, because like she's just but like, like at the end instead of the beginning, right? She's like crush the skull. And like right when she says that, crush the skull comes yeah. up on the screen. So, um, do you have anything else to say about this? Um, there was. Some like plot line that kind of felt like just like filler. Because, like, at the beginning, uh, <laughs> Blair and Ollie are breaking into this other house. They're dressed like painters and breaking into the house, although they don't ever like portray themselves as painters. They just dress like painters and then break in. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, if we get caught, then we're dressed as painters. But why are you there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't think that far ahead. Yeah. But they're saying, like, this is going to be our last job. Right. We're going to retire on this one. (laughs) And then when they said that, it's like, have you ever worked a job that would be enough to retire on? (laughs) Well, I mean, if you're robbing someone. (laughs) Right. But like, you know, in like heist movies, they always like, uh, you know, like Ocean's Eleven. You know, they're robbing three casinos and like, that's like, that's the job. You know, that's the one they're all going to retire on. Mm-hmm. 
you're you're robbing houses. I mean, this is this is going to be the one. This is the last one. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way that this person has that much money in their home right now. Yeah, it's like, how much are you really going to get? Yeah, most of their money is in offshore bank accounts. Right. But anyways, they're in this house, and uh, the homeowner's wife comes home with another dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jorge. <laughs> That's what I was getting to that. Oh. <laughs> they they hide in the closet, but then her husband ends up coming home. So the guy hides in the closet with them. Husband comes home with his gun. Yeah. <laughs> and they, so they jump out and they're like, "We're swingers, <laughs> but we don't want to bang your wife. She's banging this guy." And he's like, "Hola, me llamo Juan." <laughs> Juan, that's what. I'm the pool cleaner. <laughs> White guy, blonde hair. <laughs> Clearly not Mexican. <laughs> yeah. That was, was silly. It's very but silly. so then, uh, so Ollie gets caught by by the popo. Right. Um, <laughs> guy comes around the corner and just tackles him. That is how you do it! <laughs> yeah, those cops. They're, they're probably my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> Because they were so fucking ridiculous. Like these total bro cops. Yeah, they're just like totally jacked up on their job and like, like, kicking ass is like the reason they became a cop. Yeah. But so I don't know if they broke Ollie out or if they like paid his bail or they they are uh, Blair basically got a favor from a uh, from a, like a big boss. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, so they're indebted to this guy and that's why they need this right. this job. Yeah. But it was, it was like that whole plot point didn't really need to be there. It just kind of seemed like, you know, I mean, we're about 20 minutes short here. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt it. It's not like, it's it's just, you know, they could just be burglars robbing this place. Yeah. But, I don't know. I thought it was a, uh, it was decent. It wasn't anything spectacular, but we've watched a lot worse. We have watched a lot worse. Um, I'll, I'll give it a five. I'll just go right down the middle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, aside from like the CG, the, the bad CGI and like all the handheld. Like some movies require the use of handheld. It's unavoidable. I mean, god damn it! There's like you gotta have a tripod. You, you gotta have some some static shots sometimes. I mean, can you just put them on like a stack of books or something? <laughs> right. Um. But I mean, those those that kind of bugged me a little bit. Um. But not because it was distracting, just because it gave the movie the wrong feel. Um. And maybe I'm just reading it wrong. Maybe that was the feel they went for. I don't. I don't know. But um, no. I mean, aside from that, just like just purely technical things. Um, but I mean, like I didn't have a problem with the acting. The story was okay for what it was. I mean, I wasn't expecting an Oscar winner, right? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, every everything about this movie was fine. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. So I mean, the, yeah, like basically for the same reason as you, I'd say five, just because like there was nothing like stunning about this movie. 
but there wasn't really anything wrong with it either. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'll say five. It, it, it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that takes us to our next movie, which was, uh, just came out, um, a Stephen King adaptation, the movie Cell. Hey, buddy. Are you coming home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soon. Okay. It's terrorists, right? It's gotta be terrorists. Don't use your cell phone. We're gonna survive this. People are gonna die. You okay? They act for the good of the group as a whole. They may be the next stage in human evolution. What's happening now is more than temporary anarchy. It's the start of a war. I wanna wipe them out. It's a suicide mission, you're gonna die. I wanna see my son. You okay? Do not withhold your mercy from us, O Lord. For troubles without number surround us. May your love and your truth protect us. For here lies the dead, dust of the earth. Conquers evil. I believe that. Are you coming home? Are you coming home? I just want you to come home. Johnny's voice. No, it's not. No, that is not your son. I just want you to come Clay. home. Clay, no! Okay, so Cell, like I said, is a 2016 adaptation of a Stephen King novel of the same name. Uh, that came out in 2006. And the screenplay of this is written by Stephen King, co-written. Right. Which explains a good deal. <laughs> because every movie that he has written has been really bad. <laughs> And this was not a good movie. <laughs> I'm just going to go right out and say that. Um, this movie went off the rails very early on. See, um, I'm going to disagree with that last part. Okay. But not with the first. Part. Well, I don't think this movie was bad. I just don't think it was particularly good. It has its moments. It was, it was poorly conceived. I mean, there's too much story but you see that was a fraction of what happened in the book oh i totally believe that um and you know <laughs> i read this book probably 10 years ago when it came out so uh, my recollection of it is very hazy um 
and it kind of made me mad. You know, I was listening. I was telling you, I was listening to the Who Goes There podcast, and they actually reviewed this movie too. And it sounded like uh, George and uh, Matt on there had both read it and either remembered it better than I did or have read it much more recently than I have. Um, so <laughs> it's like they're talking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened in the book. I forgot about that. Um, but uh, is uh, the story is um, Clay. Uh, he's an artist who has returned from uh, – selling his graphic novel to a publisher this is john cusack right played by john cusack who uh is apparently just taking any job that's offered to him now (laughs) um and uh he calls his son um or calls his ex-wife actually um or maybe not ex-wife i think think they're still together but they're separated right And, and that's what it was in the book they weren't divorced they were separated if i remember right um and uh so he's he's in logan airport call like he just got off the flight and he calls his wife and says like you know i sold the book um they loved it they want to they want to buy it right away and then he goes he wants to talk to his son and you know his son asks him oh you know daddy are you coming home and he says yeah i'm coming home but then his wife says, no, <laughs> the fuck you are. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, his his he's he's FaceTiming with his son and his phone dies. And so he's looking for a plug in the airport, which I think is something that we can all relate to, <laughs> especially if you're on a layover of any kind. Um, and. Um, just all these people on their phones and. Suddenly, this sound happened. Like this, he, he like Clay can hear it. Not, I mean, he his phone is dead, so he he's not experiencing it, but he can hear it coming from other phones, and it just paralyzes people, and they start convulsing, and you know most of them will like collapse to the ground, and then they get up, and they've become these manic, rabid like psychos um, is very reminiscent of the crazies, the crazies. Um, yeah, that's all I could think. This whole movie was very derivative of the crazies. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he, he runs, um, away. Dude, that airport scene is so good though. It was pretty good. Um, and that that's you feel like this guy comes running out of a, one of the restaurants and just starts like stabbing people in the belly. Yeah. That one girl who smashes her own face against the wall and then just starts smiling and skipping away. Yeah. And see, that's why I had. So uh, when this was occurring in the movie, like I had some pretty high hopes because I had read a lot of sh- like I did what I usually don't and read some reviews about this and people were just <laughs> saying it was awful. Yeah. I, I avoid reviews until we do ours, but I. You know, some websites will put in the headline, it'll be like, Cell is a bad movie. Right. <laughs> Here's my review. Or I saw, like, comments on other articles, and people were just like, this movie sucks. <laughs> um, but, so I, I, you know, I'm watching this airport scene. I'm like, what, what are people bitching about? This is awesome. That's why I was watching in the bedroom, and my girlfriend was out here in the living room. Mm-hmm. 
And when the girl smashed her face on the wall and then started smiling, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and she's like, didn't you just start that movie? <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, this this part, is it's pretty awesome. It's, it's looking good so far. Yeah. So, I mean, Clay... He's 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 running away from the from the action. Um, there's only a few people that haven't gone crazy left. He go he runs down the escalator and he runs into the tunnels under the airport and gets on the T. Um, and he discovers that there's this group of people that have not been affected, um, and uh, all because they were underground and couldn't get service. Right. Um, and that's when he meets up with Tom. Yep. Played by Samuel L. Jackson. Another guy who's... Because it's a movie. Right. Uh, we forgot to mention he was in Crush the Skull. <laughs> he wasn't, but he might as well have been. Um, who was it I said the other day was becoming Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, Larry Fessenden? Yes. He's in fucking everything. Um... So, yeah, he meets Tom, and Tom agrees to, they have to get out of there, because these people who, just for time-saving sake, in the movie, they start calling them phoners, so I'm just going to call them that. They realize they have to get away from the phoners. It's a terrible name. It is. That's what they call them in the book, too. I mean, it's terrible. There's the, the phoners and the normies. He says normies? Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. This was when when Stephen King was kind of in a lull. It's a lamp monster. (laughs) (laughs) See, I mean, there was definitely a period in, you know, the late 90s to mid 2000s where he was just not doing well. (laughs) I mean, he put out a couple good things here and there. Um, Like, I think uh, uh, Finders Keepers came out. Around that time, maybe Mr. Mercedes. I don't remember exactly when that came out. Um, but I mean, then he like then he did something like eleven twenty two sixty three, which was amazing. So, just kind of a roller coaster, I guess. Bell curve. Yeah this this was a low point for him. <laughs> um, now, when I read the book, not to get too sidetracked, but when I read the book, I remember enjoying it. To an extent, I mean, not as uh, not as much as something like it or the stand, but I enjoyed it for what it was. It wasn't one of his strongest books. Now, talking to my dad, he said it sucked, <laughs> like he didn't like it at all. Um, but so uh, Clay and Tom, they're they're walking down the T tunnel out of, uh, out from under the airport, and um, like the goal is for them to get to clay's apartment which is apparently in walking distance of, of logan conveniently yeah um and uh then make their way to new hampshire to find his wife and his son uh apparently tom doesn't have anyone at least that's yeah, he said his wife left him right and in the book he's gay Oh. So it's very interesting that they changed him to a straight man. That is interesting. For the movie. I mean, if, if if anything, it's usually the other way. Yeah. So, I mean, unless... Does he actually mention that it was his wife that left him? I 
think so. Okay. Well, I, I don't remember clearly, but if he was gay, it wasn't very strongly implied. Right. I mean, it wasn't heavy-handed in the book either. It was just a character trait. Yeah, sure. Um. So they get to Clay's apartment. Um, there's a knock on the door. It's Alice, who's an upstairs neighbor. Now, this is different than the movie, or than the book. Because Alice is just a girl <clears throat> they meet along the way. Oh. And you know, in the book, he wasn't in logan airport he was in boston common huh. when the when the pulse came interesting yeah um but I, I i think that was actually an improvement on the book because being in an airport well they had that awesome scene where the airplanes collided in midair right which was weird because people don't really use their phones in a in-flight airplane They're maybe pretty, the controls of the plane maybe spread the pulse somehow i don't know um. Anyway, so they they get to Clay's apartment. Alice comes, played by uh, um, is Isabel Isabel Fairman, something like that. Farum Furman Furman. Yes. Um, who you <clears throat> might recognize from the Orphan, uh, except she's all grown up now. <laughs> um, and uh, she kind of joins our crew. She just. She comes down. She's a little high strung because she just killed her mom. <laughs> was she in love with Clay? In the book, there's a very strong hinting at that. Okay, there's a hinting, but it's not as strong. Right. And that was another missed mark, I felt. Because that, that, you know, actually, not not to keep mentioning another podcast review of this, but... Nah, fuck them. <laughs> They, they talked about the sexual tension in the book and how it was very lacking in this movie. And I totally agree. I mean, that was something that was seemed kind of not not like a central theme, but I mean, it was something that was there. It kind of defined those characters and the relationship between them. It was weird because Alice was like in her mid-teens somewhere, 17, 16, somewhere in there. They don't say how old she is in the movie, do they? No, but you have to assume probably about around the same age. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Clay is... I, I don't think they ever actually say exactly how old he is, but you have to assume he's like in his 30s, maybe. However old John Cusack is. Well, maybe even younger. I mean, it's it's hard to say because he, he, you know, he has a uh, maybe 10-year-old son. Yeah. Stop that. Um, so he could potentially be, you know, well, maybe about 30, I guess, or older. Who knows? He's definitely older than 30. You didn't read the book? You don't know? In the movie, I'm saying. Well, yeah, obviously. I'm talking about the book. Okay, I don't give a fuck about the book. Well, fuck you. We're not reviewing the book. I'm comparing it to the book. Nobody, That's the point of an adaptation. Nobody cares. Shut up. Um. Anyway, so... Uh, yeah, so they leave Clay's apartment. They're making their way to New Hampshire. Um, they happen across a, uh, a private boys school. Um, all of the students have, uh, abandoned it. They've either, either become phoners or, um, or they just bailed. There's, um, one student left, Jonathan, Jordan, Jordan, sorry, Jonathan's 
Clay's son. Um, Played by Owen Teague. Right. Um, we discussed earlier. Right. Uh, and the headmaster... Stacy Keach. Stacy Keach. I can't remember the character's name. Starts with an A. Um, but they're... I mean, just like in the book, and it's very strange in the book, but they're very welcoming. It's like you think in that kind of situation, they might be a little more wary. Yeah. But... No, they welcome them right in, offer them a place to stay. Um, and then head, the headmaster's like, don't be a pussy. <laughs> right. Because Titus. Yes. I guess you said wussy because it was network television. Right. Uh, he. Um, they show Clay and his crew that the phoners have congregated that they they sleep at night um and they've congregated on the field like the playing field in this at the school and they're all laying on top of each other all like interconnected all with their their phones on their like laying on their chests playing uh the troll man which was awesome (laughs) I wish my wife was there because she fucking hates that song. <laughs> and like I, there's like a, an 11 hour, I think, or no, sorry, 11 minute long version of it on Spotify. And I'll just like put it on and play in the car. <laughs> um, anyway, I wish she was home when I was watching it. So I could have laughed at her. Uh, but they say, I mean, they're completely like dead to the world when they're, recharging basically um like stacy keachy stabs one in the leg with his with his cane sword because yeah. he carries a cane sword that was awesome <laughs> uh and there's actually no response um so they load up their fertilizer truck with gasoline and drive <laughs> drive over them just four-wheeling over this, these bodies spreading gas all over the field and then they light the bitch on fire and that goes about as well as could be expected right because you know maybe somebody doesn't wake up when you stab them in the leg but they're gonna wake up when you light them on fire yeah and And then they'll probably start running at you right um and just a word to the wise if you're gonna spray gasoline from a truck and then light it on fire you want to make sure that the gas is shut off when you drive to wherever you're parking the truck. Yeah. Because gas will ignite even in a tiny little trail of gas. So the, the truck explodes and kills Stacy Keach. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to explain the whole movie. Yeah, you are. I always do that. Um, and Jordan joins the crew. And then that's when things start really going downhill. Right. Shit goes fucking sideways. Um, This is when it turns into a fucking Nightmare on Elm Street. Because they all have the same dream with the same guy who is based or who is a character out of Clay's book. Yeah. Which doesn't make any fucking sense and is never explained. Maybe it's explained in the book, but it's not explained at all why he knew that this was going to happen. No, it's not. Like that, that character, he's a primary character in the book. It's called the Raggedy Man. And I don't think they ever actually call him that in this. In this. I don't remember that. Or if they did. Um, he called him something, but that doesn't sound right. 
Yeah, I swear he called him the time something. I, I don't know. But uh, they do all have dreams of him in the book. Um, and, but but he, the characters in the book, um, he doesn't seem to have the quite the same role that he does in the book. That He, he doesn't have the same role in the movie that he does in the book. Um, and... I don't know. I think that kind of really broke up the plot for me um, because he was kind of like the the unofficial leader of the phoners, um, and he he didn't really have that role. I mean, to the extent that he did in the book, he was kind of a centralized character, but not really expressed as a leader of any kind. Yeah, they called him the one that guy called him the president of the internet. <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of weird shit happens, and a good uh, from what I can remember, a lot of it does happen in the book, but it, I don't know, it's different somehow. Um, there's a there's so much story that was left out in this. Um, and the ending was completely different. The ending was fucking garbage. Ending was so stupid. It was bad. And it was, like I said, that that was not at all what happened in the book. It's completely different. The ending was awful. It was so bad. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'll go back to, like, talking about technical stuff again. This w- was very poorly shot. This was shit camera work. Like, and I did not expect that from a fairly well-financed movie, especially one that's a Stephen King adaptation. I did not expect this to look like a fucking college film. It was really bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, you had, you know, some pretty heavy hitters. I mean, you had uh, Cusack, Jackson, um, and and Stacey Keach. But, like, I mean, John Cusack and Samuel Jackson, it's almost like they'll be in anything that's going to pay them a check these days um and stacy keach i mean he's not I, don't know, I guess i call him a heavy hitter he's not really not really a heavy hitter i mean people know who he is but i don't think he's really high in demand no um but i mean these these seasoned actors you wouldn't think it would be so fucking bad and like the story didn't make any fucking sense and a lot of that had to do with the fact that they cut so much of the story out um because i mean it was the book wasn't like i said wasn't one of stephen king's best works but it made sense it was a cohesive story and this it just didn't it didn't st- None of it made any sense together. The the whole thing with the the raggedy man or the president of the internet or whatever they called him, that made no sense in the context of the movie. No, not at all. And he like in the book, you never really know who he is, but there's a character established, not just some dude that's in their dreams for some reason. Yeah, and then um, for some reason Clay is like the one. He's like the chosen one that can end all of it or whatever. Yeah. And that's why he drew him. And, but it's like so th- thinly explained that mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, I talk, told you the, the, the ending was different and that was 
that was like sheer like science fiction shit. It was so bad. And like the the one in the book, it was based in some semblance of reality. It didn't even make any sense. No. Um. I don't know. I mean, P- part I, of me was really like, as soon as they start, he started saying that you know it's this character that I drew, that's in all our dreams. I immediately was like, if this whole fucking movie is a dream, I swear to God, <laughs> they're gonna Patrick Duffy you. I, that's I was so worried they were gonna Patrick Duffy me. <laughs> um, yeah, I just the thing that that really killed this movie for me was the fact that they made a point of really inconsequential. Well. I won't go that far. Less important parts in the story, and they changed them to f- try and fit together with other parts that they used. But they they cut out like some really important things in the story, and uh, I mean, changing locations and changing um, character relationships, all that stuff. Uh, it just it made the story weak. Um. Yeah, I, I remember when we first talked about this on the show. It's like, oh, they're making a Cell adaptation. Okay, I I liked Cell. Uh, it was a it was a decent enough book, and then they cast Samuel Jackson and John Cusack. I'm like, all right, I can dig that. Um, and then I found out it was coming out on VOD before it even went to its limited theater run. And it was like, okay, well, this something's this wrong here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I'm doing all the talking here. Uh, I think, like, up until they introduce the the man on the red hoodie... It's very similar to the crazies, but not in a way that it's like, oh my God, this is just a rip off of the crazies. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's similar, but it's enough of a new twist that it's interesting. But then as soon as they introduce that man in the red hoodie, everything just goes downhill from there and it goes downhill fast. Yeah. And then the end is just absolute trash. It doesn't make any sense. It's like you said, it's just straight out of the world of science fiction and it's 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 so like out there compared to the rest of the movie, which is you know obviously hopefully nothing like this could happen, but the end is like it doesn't make any sense, and it's completely detached from the rest of the movie, and it's it's almost like like the end feels like it's a dream sequence, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's all too real. Yeah, and to see, like, there was a, an element of this movie that was left out, that was in the book, and it was left out in the movie, that uh, Jordan, he's actually kind of like a, a computer expert, sort of, and he starts to theorize that the pulse is actually some kind of, uh, like, specialized computer virus almost almost like a like a sentient computer virus like uh like skynet almost <laughs> that developed the pulse to infect the human race and that because it's a virus it's continued to mutate 
and adapt. And so, like... That was one thing that I thought was kind of cool, was that the, they did kind of evolve. Um, yeah, which, and like... They, know, in a movie like 28 Days Later, which is, again, kind of similar to this, they're infected, so they don't really evolve. Mm-hmm. But this, it, it is like a computer virus, almost, that they, they can change. And they say, you know, that they're all of one hive mind mm-hmm. and that if you know they all kind of see the same thing through one set of eyes yeah and so it is possible for them to evolve and create new things and and they do and that makes it more interesting as it, as it goes on yeah and like something that's uh kind of expressed as spreading the virus is they they admit like this computer like digitized tone um not not quite that (laughs) it should be that (laughs) it should have been that um and that's kind of similar to something that's in the book but what they can do is they have after they begin to change and evolve they have the ability to compel the normies um into into doing they're not really changing them into phoners but they have the ability to kind of like mind control basically. Hmm. Um, I mean, they don't really become like zombies necessarily or, you know, just mindless slaves, but they are compelled to do what the phoners tell them to do. Interesting. Um, another thing, another thing that I think brought this movie down was the fact that the story is outdated. When he when Stephen King wrote this, and I mean he probably wrote it in two thousand four ish, two thousand five maybe, came out in two thousand six. But that's kind of like when cell phones really started to become popular. Yeah, more and more people had them. I mean, before that, it was like, you know, you had a friend that had a cell phone. You know. Yeah. And that's only because his parents were rich and he could afford a cell phone. <laughs> um, but. Stephen King, like I think at the time, probably saw that as a growing trend and how people were becoming more and more connected and more and more slaves to their cell phones. And something that I think if they were going to make this, if, if they were going to do this movie justice, they should have adapted it from normal for, for modern times because, and you know, saying modern times compared to something 10 years ago, it's a little wacky, but. I don't think he could have ever predicted Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and that kind of shit. They should have adapted the story to account for those things. They did a little bit with like FaceTime. Yeah. But they they really should have incorporated those kind of social networking things and how some people don't always have their phones to their heads anymore. They they're they've got them in their hands and they're staring at them. Yeah. Like I mean, how often? Out of all things that a phone can do, making a telephone call is last on most people's list. Yeah, and that's why most cell phones nowadays they don't make they don't do shit for calls. Like yeah. they sound awful. Um, like even the most expensive phones, you try to make a phone call and it sounds like shit. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> that's something I felt like that sh- that should have been adapted to reflect more of our modern times and how cell phones are actually used nowadays. Yeah. So that was my. It did feel issue. kind of like the, at the point where they come out 
and there's the big pile of burning cell phones and the girl throws hers on top. Mm-hmm. It felt very like Romero social awareness kind of. A little bit. And I mean, that's a, a lot of Stephen King's work does have that kind of underlying social tone to it. Right. Just, at that moment, though, it just felt very heavy handed. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I've kind of said my piece on this one. You have anything else to add? Um, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm disappointed because I was into it, but then just it just crashed and burned. Yeah, it started out strong, and for it to end up the way it did, just, like you said, that airport scene, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're we're going all guns blazing right from the beginning. I'm into it. Yeah, and then it just got really weird and disconnected, and it, it fell apart. It didn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of the things that happened in the movie happened in the book. They were slightly different, you know, in in different locations, but the events more or less happened. But the fact that there were so many elements missing in between those parts that it just it didn't it's like it was missing the glue almost. Yeah. It, it just it, it didn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. And it was a poorly it was a poorly constructed movie, a poorly shot movie. Um, something that I actually saw, like I said, I made the mistake of reading some reviews, and something I totally agree with is that um, uh, John Cusack, like all all the major actors in this, they look bored <laughs> through the entire movie. They're like they didn't express emotion. Where was that explosive attitude of? Samuel Jackson. Yeah. He didn't like freak out and yell once. Well, I mean, he probably yelled. I don't quite remember, but although I, I love the part where they, uh, they find the house with all the guns. Yeah. And, uh, they're telling him to go up there and he's like, I'm a black man holding a crowbar. No way am I going up there. Right. <laughs> and so John Cusack takes the crowbar and hands him a bat. And he goes, Oh, that makes just a world of difference. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love John Cusack. I mean, I'm, I've been a big fan of his for a while, for a long time. Um, and Samuel Jackson is awesome, but they both just because they seemed like they didn't care. Would you say they phoned it in? Ah, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So, <laughs> on that pun, <laughs> we'll, we'll end it. Th- we'll end it on that high note. Uh, what, what do you what do you think as far as rating? Uh, four. Right. Yeah, uh, I think I'm judging this a little more harshly because I've read the book and was so so disappointed. Uh, I'm gonna say three. This, this was just rubbish. I mean, like I said, I w- I was into it, but then it it lost me. All right, well, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Um, Make sure you check us out at graveplotpodcast.com. Subscribe to the show. Give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And follow us on your favorite social networks. Yep. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with episode 65, where we, we're going to be watching uh, Neon Demon and Dead Rising Endgame. Right. Hopefully Neon Demon. I should add that. Yeah, I, we're still not sure if it's a wide release or a limited release. Yeah. And, and since, if it's limited, we don't know if it's going to be here because Showtimes haven't come out yet. Right. But 
That's the hope. So, uh, I mean, it might be a last-minute announcement. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll um, keep you in the dark. So, yeah, I mean, you'll find out which which movie we actually do review next episode. <laughs> uh, so catch up with catch up with us again in a couple weeks. Till then, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Great Flat Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside.